This episode is supported by Tahoe Lab Snowboards. At Tahoe Lab, they handcraft their split and solid boards in small batches using a bamboo core in two different constructions, traditional and phantom. The traditional construction uses two full sheets of carbon fiber and two sheets of triaxial fiberglass to create a bomber board that can take years of abuse. The Phantom construction uses four layers of aerospace-grade carbon fiber to create the lightest, most responsive board possible. Anyone that enjoys long tours knows that the weight of the board has a huge effect on the amount of energy required to achieve your objective. Tahoe Lab boards feature a DuraSurf centered base to hold more wax to keep you gliding smoothly. Go to www.taholab.com and use the code DS15 at checkout for 15% off your board purchase. And be sure to listen all the way through the end for more discount codes. Hi, eh? There she comes. <laughs> oh, this is too hard. Yeah, just uh, Get it! Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, white smoke being humble in the mountains and being humble about your own process is a really good opportunity to help people learn and to learn yourself like the mountains don't care who you are how experienced you are like Hey everybody and welcome to episode 35 of Dark Starts, your backcountry splitboarding podcast. In this one, we're talking with Jesse Gilbert, splitboarder and guide, famous for her backcountry single line drawings. What a blast and one awesome human. So grab your favorite drawing tool and let's do some lines with Jessa Gilbert. Let's drop in with Jessa Gilbert, splitboarder, artist, all around good soul. So Jessa, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to hear your voice. You know, how's everything going today? Hey. <laughs> uh, but can you, is it coming in clear? Absolutely. Clear? Oh, it okay. is coming in very clear. Because you know what's That's awesome, that. Jessa, is those headphones are, the in best. my experience, it's the best device for listener or for interviewees to mm-hmm. use on their end because uh, it provides us the best quality for sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> I was wondering if I needed to go like make myself a soundproof area, like sit in the closet or find a dark corner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, okay. Well, now that you say that, like that might not a dark corner either. isn't necessary, but a closet, I mean, to be honest with you, like a closet's <laughs> going to give us, because there is a little, I can hear a little twinge of echo in the background bouncing yeah, off too. the walls okay. behind you. But um, let's see what I can do here. Because remember, I need to have my phone plugged in at all times. I know. And so. I don't want to <laughs> screw that up. You better get the extension cord out and yeah, I know. <laughs> get into your oh, closet. God. Okay, where's the <coughs> closet action? Uh, there's a the plug. How are we doing now? You could just go sit in your sauna. Don't you have I a sauna? wish I had a sauna. <laughs> Who said I had a sauna? Nobody. Do you have a I'm sauna just, sponsor? No, <laughs> not yet. Red light therapy. Yeah, you you just you just put Red an idea into Chad's head, and that's one of the most dangerous things to do. It's like it's like feeding a monster. <laughs> it's a dangerous idea unless it gets me a sauna, and then I think it's a great idea. Then you're down, <laughs> you're down right? You're there like, actually yeah. is a company in uh, New York State that does those and sells. Uh, also, they sell like a sleeping bag, so you wrap yourself up in a sleeping bag, and it's like a sauna. 
I've heard the a sleeping bag sauna. Mm-hmm. Mm. I heard yeah, the, it's called a it's called a uh, glad bag. <laughs> no, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> um, no, I heard them on another podcast, Luke Story's podcast, who's a biohacker. Um, he has the craziest guests on with the craziest products, and that's what these guys have. They have got saunas for in your house. They also have a sauna. Like I said, it's a it's a it's a sleeping bag. You plug it in and fucking red light therapy. That is crazy. I'm have in. you guys seen the the hammock hot tubs? No. What? <laughs> yeah, it's like a hammock that's made out of this like super durable plastic tarp, essentially, that you can then pour hot water into and. It comes, I think this company that makes it, it comes with like a heating coil or like a copper coil that will heat the water or I don't know. But a backcountry sauna and or backcountry hot tub, I mean, nobody's going to argue with that. It sounds like a great idea okay, if somebody but, else is carrying it. But they have backcountry hot tubs. They're called hot springs. Yeah, but <laughs> they don't exist everywhere. See, you're like you live in Alberta. You think that everywhere has a hot spring. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But there's, that's not because although, that's not because four, there's any around here. There's four, four. There's a couple of four hours away. Well, you got to yeah, pay to get in. Yeah, I actually yeah. can't complain. There's like four within an, two hours from here. Did, have you like been, that whole drive? Yeah. Have so you good. have you been to Ainsworth? Uh, I have been to Ainsworth. Ainsworth is sweet, but you got to go like. I, it's, it's kind of this thing about me is I don't really love being around a ton of people I in know, a pool I of know, water. I know, right? <laughs> I know. He just like peed. Built up. <laughs> yeah. That was, like, that was oh. a big turnoff for me when I went to Ainsworth. I was like, oh man, it's like just my, ruined it for yeah, me. Maya, it's like a big pool. They literally made it into pools, like yeah. swimming pools. This one's hot. This one's cold. This one's tepid. Well, Ainsworth, so like, they have fuck. this little tunnel that you can go through that's really <laughs> yeah. dark and the and the floor is lit up. It's got this lighting in the floor. And then they get this big pool, which is pretty tepid compared to that, the tunnel. And then they have this ice plunge bath right next to it. Oh, shit. And that was the most fun mm-hmm. I had, really, to be honest like with you. I was like, <laughs> like me and my kids were competing. Like, who can, who can do it? Me and my son were just like, oh. like head right under... Stay as long as you could and then get out, go into the hot water, do your lap, come back out, jump into the cold plunge. It was wicked. I actually loved that part of it. Yeah, no, I got I was told yeah. my my uh, nutritionist told me I, I need to turn the shower to cold because yeah, that'll man. actually make my body warm again because I'm Wim fucking Huff. cold all the time. You I, need to I breathe. Know. You need to do some breathing. And you definitely <laughs> need to do you seriously, man. I'm like, not sighing at you. I'm sighing because I I know. Like what Christine Flecky and I were talking about the other day, like that whole Wim Hof breathing technique, and then uh, and then you do the cold shower. So like what I like to do is I'll take a scalding hot shower almost in the morning, but I always finish with the cold water. That's what you're supposed mm-hmm. to before I get it's out. It's good for your pores and your. It's awesome. Immune system. Well, yeah, because you release all these these proteins in your body that are supposed to be super healing and. Jackie Ray. I'm in the shower texting and still working. That's what this is. Okay, you gotta take your phone out of the shower. It's playing it's playing an audio. It's playing an audio book. I gotta call my daughter real quick. Go ahead. It's playing an audio book or a podcast. And I'm uh, I'm always networking. It's what I do. Yeah. Well you should look into look into cryotherapy because it's like the idea is that when you restrict your blood vessels and then you open it up with heat, it allows this like fresh blood how do you spell of nutrients that? how do you spell probably that? i'm C-R-Y-O feeling i knew it was a why i knew yeah. it was a why just because it's fucked up so it's gonna be a why <laughs> <laughs> so 
So yeah, that's like, so cryotherapy is kind of more like topical pain relief. Like mm-hmm. when I, on one of my knee surgeries, they like the, they had the thing called the cryo cuff, which is okay. essentially just like a band that circulates ice water around Ooh. your limb. But, okay. but the whole goal is to like, you just tar- you, yeah, you have to restrict the muscles and then get the flow. Like that's all icing is really doing. It, right. it does stop a bit of the the inflammation, but it's trying to like allow your body to then when it warms to give it some fresh nutrients. So like when you, gotcha. the Winhof is an amazing idea because he, you should actually read into some of his theories because he talks about how you're oxygenating your body. Yeah. Like you hyperventilate first to yeah. get your body so oxygen rich that mm-hmm. you feel no pain really. He's like pain is a mental construct, which is a fascinating idea like, yeah, yeah right? like he hiked everest in shorts like i know I, this dude I, I, is on another level i watched <laughs> i watched this video first time i in, was introduced to him i watched this video and he's got these kids that are into like pain they get they i don't know these five kids they well kids are younger than us are in their 20s this youtube channel they do crazy shit and then they went to him and literally like day one you're supposed to be there for a week you're supposed to slowly you know get you into the mode and get you into things they're like nope day one we're going to the pool we're going to the river and uh there's snow everywhere and we're hopping in it's like holy fuck so that's what they did yeah and and, yeah they ran out and they didn't get to go to a hot sauna right away it was like no we're gonna walk back and then the last day of the three days they made them he had them all in their underwear running up the mountain Oh yeah, the yeah. Wim, Wim he's, yeah, yeah. he's already in. Yeah, Wim Hof. I'm totally in. I speaking yeah. of the water though, I was watching riding remote, right? With Danny, the Danny Davis, the Nick Nick Russell, and uh, Elena Height Height Elena Height and he, Elena Height. They went on a uh, what was it, the Arctic Antarctica Antarctica, and they were jumping out of a perfectly good dinghy into this freezing cold water with a rope <laughs> around their waists. Yeah. Everybody else is wearing full jackets, you know, snowsuits, and they're like, woohoo! It's like, this is fucking cold. But yeah, that's what goes through my mind. But I know I need to do that more often. Definitely. Yeah, try it. Like, uh, what you could do, so I have a few friends that do this, they'll fill their bath with yes. water the night before. Yeah. And so when they get up in the morning, it's at least room temperature, which is pretty cold. Get yourself in that. Ideally, it's colder, but that at least gets the bath ready and you don't have to think about it. And just like set yourself in that get really fucking cold and we're to the point where you like you don't think you can breathe try and breathe through it and then take a hot shower and you like it's like your entire body tingles you can feel like the Ooh. everything's opening the colder the better like i think that it's gr- like when i was in svalbard with danny and all those guys it's like you have to jump in because when you get out it's this refreshing breath that your body can why aren't take. we recording right now this is the shit we need to be talking I'm recording oh, we're recording man. twice you're recording twice. I also sent you guys a photo <laughs> of my recording studio. What? It's <laughs> oh yeah. I sent it to Chad. <laughs> oh, just now you did. Uh, mm-hmm. Chad, pull it up, bro. Pull that shit up. It's really pull tough. That shit up. Up. <laughs> Drop that shit, homie. You're awesome. Hey, That's hey, right. Jesse, you said you're the no, same age no. as me. No, you're not the same age as me, right? Darren's old uh, balls. No, I'm 52. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm 31, but I've had five knee surgeries. So in oh my, my mind, I love it, your closet. you just like... <laughs> That's, I'm posting that shit, just so you know. You've had <laughs> fucking five knee surgeries? Five. Both knees? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, sounds I good had though two, two ACLs, two scopes, and then a full reconstruction on my left. Uh, and an Achilles repair. Oh my like gosh. full rupture. So. Did you get all those <laughs> surgeries done in Canada? 
The only one I got in Canada actually was uh, was Achilles, and which was, was funny because I like, yeah, totally botched. But you know what? My Achilles is thick as fuck now, so I like to <laughs> yeah, think no that doubt. it's an upgrade. Um, no, my my knee replacement. Well, it was going to be a knee replacement, but they're like, you're too young for this traditional one. So how about we try this hack job where we give you a new meniscus and we give you a new like bone because I had a hole in the bottom of my femur and I had no meniscus left. Oh, and my surgeon. Dr. Slaughterback was like, oh, no, 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 are you serious? No. Yeah. yeah. No. This, this, like, <laughs> this is in Vermont. Dr. Slaughterback, what a dude. He's oh. from Texas. He wore like a different bolo tie every day. We had a really good relationship <laughs> after a few fucking surgeries. But yeah. He's like, you know, I've done like meniscus transplants and I've done bone transplants, but I've never done them together. But what could possibly go wrong? Let's just do it all at the same time we have you opened up anyway. And being whatever, 26, 27, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Oh, by the way, I'm moving to Canada right after this is done. So just do a really good job, please. And give me but, my file. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> it was savage. Like, they, it was supposed to be like a nine-hour knee surgery. It ended up being 11 because Ooh. apparently they didn't measure the gap between my bones for the meniscus. And the meniscus was too big. So he, his words are, we basically had to crowbar your joint apart. So we could shove the meniscus in there so that for the next year, whenever I would bend my knee, it would be like, like an audible sound. This is so fucked. You're a fucking <laughs> RoboCop over here, man. Yeah, full Robo. I had to sleep with this machine at night that would just like slowly straighten and bend my leg. Like, you know, really? I just imagine like Stephen Hawking, like I am here. Yes. Like, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh. Dude, that's crazy. the gnarliest thing I've ever come back from. And I actually like, I'm really grateful for that surgery. Like he told me I would never run again, snowboard. Like I should take up crocheting because like life is going to be sedentary if I ever want to keep this limb alive. And, right, right. and I think like when you get that strip from you and you have to build out of that dark hole is actually when you really grow the most. Like it's made me be persistent. It's changed my focus on like actually cross training and, and just taking stock of your body. Like, you can't keep going at things hard. Like I was riding slope style and rail jams and my goal was like show up. And if somebody's doing like a double cork 12, fuck, I'm trying double cork 12 today, even though that's way out of my, which is not true. Like, like you know, this is the 2000s. So it was like people still thought a seven was big. Time. Yeah, dude, it's right? 900 was out of control. Happening. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. nuts. I just watched this, yeah. uh, this guy on uh, Instagram posted from uh, Nitro. He's a triple cork off a fucking hip and sticks it clean. <laughs> it's crazy. Three like, fucking flips, dude, like inverted, corked out. Ping. I'm like, are you fucking serious, <laughs> man? Like, yeah. Holy. What's in the and milk you know, these days? Like, I don't even know if it's in the milk. I think that like we as consumers have created this system where it's like we have to go bigger, faster, like do something new and innovative when really the sickest trick is still a method and a back one. Right. Like super slow, yeah. styled out. Because there's no way to see style when you can, you're you still counting the flips and rotations and you're there's trying no, to figure out what's there's no, happening. There's no pokes. There's no boning. There's no like boning it out or poking it or tweaking it. That shit doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, man. and if fucking, we're not boning, what are we doing? <laughs> we're, definitely, <laughs> right. we're definitely not uh, Live to bone. Babies. <laughs> I just practiced yeah, the ways anyway. We are wasting some gold here, man. That's Who says we're wasting? Just keep fucking <laughs> going. Right. Yeah, we could just, we'll just we could squeeze an intro in later. Yeah, we'll do that. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll figure something yeah. out. 
Um, going on that note, what you just finished saying, not the boning part, but the tweaking <laughs> part. Um, <laughs> yeah, like tweaking like, and boning, tweaking and boning. Jibbing and bonking is what I meant God. to say, but anyways. Um, but that's what it was, jibbing and bonking. When I started writing in the early 91, 92, I got really back into it. But like, yeah, you know, it's crazy because kids are like what I've learned in the last three, four years is that I think the reason why the evolution of snowboarding and all these sports have really taken off is because now you can watch it on television first. You can watch it on the video game first. Like when 1080 came out in 2000 and I'm playing this half pipe game and buddy's busting like 1080s and 1440s. You're like, this is fucking retarded. But then these <laughs> kids that play this, their brains are looking at this. Their brains like, I can put that together. Like, yeah, that's what's that, like, I mean, who hasn't had a dream where they like, I've definitely have snowboard dreams where I dude. leave the lip and I'm just like, I've spun around 30 times. I'm still in the air floating, like looking down at the plebs on the ground. Like, oh, I'll just come down to the landing at some point. Yeah, dude. And then you stick it. And what's actually crazy is this happening. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's really important to innovate and to push sport forward. To a degree. But I think... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There's a point where you look at it and you're like, we now have 25 foot walls on half pipes. We now have like super booters. We now have like features that are like the athletes Insane. are put to such. Yeah, it's crazy. And there, I'm not saying that doing a triple cork is lame. It's like such a feat of athleticism that is impressive and like, like what the fuck, really? But I do, like, maybe I'm just, this is me speaking my age again. Uh, like, going back to those old tricks and having style and really having to be, like, thoughtful about how you make it look your own and unique is yeah. super important. Like, Dude. I, yeah, how do you make it look unique when you're spinning so fast? You can't. Just, but yet, yeah. you know, show me, like, uh, show me a video clip of Nicholas Mueller or Terry Hackinson, and I'll be like, Nicholas Mueller, Terry Hackinson. You know, show Mueller, me. like, makes snowboarding look so freaking fun like he has some of the best style no his question. demeanors his methods like everything so good he just takes like a backcountry run and he makes it like sick you're like dude how many times did you go down the run oh it's like my first time you're like what the fuck yeah like he just takes what it a like guy. a part oh yeah he's like that those are my two favorite riders and then there's dcp and you know then the list goes on but travis rice and actually just talking to ken Ockenbach. i'm not sure if you know that guy or not um, oh yeah okay. I went to Camp of Champ in like oh seven man. six <laughs> Ken talks about Camp of Champs like crazy I had to talk with, talk with him this morning and he's like Camp Life this Camp I'm like man it's so awesome he's writing a book about it yeah <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say um, but yeah every, everybody's been through that camp and everybody who talks about it has learned something from it and yeah it's pretty epic but he's these guys that ride they just got style and nowadays that's gone it's I don't see I wouldn't it. say it's gone. Well, the new it's kids coming gone. up. I, yeah, I think that like in competition, yeah. we've gotten to this point where like watching slope style and watching half pipe to be frankly honest, like I find kind of boring because it's like, all right, back nine, right? front nine, 12. <laughs> like like if the run doesn't have a nine in it, like go four home. fucking hits. <laughs> four fucking hits in, in in 15 seconds. You're like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. And I mean, there is a push for change. Like Danny Davis is yes, trying to do different things with pipe and like make it oh. be more creative. His, and that's the evolution. Right? His it's switch. Gotta go back. The Peace Park thing. Yeah. No, no. His half yeah. pipe run. He did, well, that too. But his half pipe run, he did a switch fucking 
reverse method. Like it didn't even make sense, but he did. I watched it. I was like, huh? I need to watch it again. And I kept, I watched it like 50 times. I'm like that didn't even make any sense. How he even did that. <laughs> <laughs> and to Danny's credit, like he has this really fun interview with the bomb hole. Yes. And I was listening to it today actually. It. Yeah. So good. But yeah. what I loved in that is he talks about how like everyone notices when he drops into a run and he's doing his practice lines. He doesn't do the same run every time. He's having fun even at a competition. Yeah, and dude. he's like, oh, gee, competition, guys. So maybe at this oh, point, yeah. he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Well, I'm going to just go have a blast. But that kind of style and treatment and engagement with the competition circuit would be so refreshing rather than feeling like it's just a, a bunch of robots that are just yeah. competing with the same trick well, lineup. And I see that in Ben Ferguson also. Ben Ferguson's got that going on too. He definitely, oh, yeah. he's definitely totally. got that style, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a big snowboarding nerd. It's just how it goes. Fucking nerd. Nerd right out. I was watching videos yeah. last night. I know you guys are outclassing me, man. I'm not, uh. Easy dad. Exactly. Well, you gotta yeah. stop scuba diving and start snowboarding. <laughs> like, that's the problem. Uh, yeah. I did. I did <laughs> that. I did oh, that. No. I haven't been underwater in 14 years, man. Yo, everybody chill. I'm going the other direction. Up. You're right. Yeah, uh, now you're on top of the water particles. Oh, that's, that's, exactly. that's good. Exactly. I'm exploring the entire realm. No, it's good. It's all good. Right. It's a good people yeah. people have told me they like the, they like his the way he's kind of combining the two and giving the safety aspect of it. It's good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Buff Buff specifically like that, right? I know. It's all good. It's all well, good. Buff is a gem because his mind is so diverse and dynamic. Like he'll be able to pull something from basically any walk of life. Like when he talks about breathing and yoga and he talks about being thoughtful and talks about like making things a bit more analytical or being able to parse it down into what's objective like i love being in the backcountry with buff because you never question where his head's at like he looks at everything that's going on and whether or not he like is excited about you or like emotionally attached to what's happening he'll give you the facts based on what's there and i think that's really important especially in the backcountry because you have to be able to turn everything else down and to just look at what you're dealing with what's the snow what's the terrain what's the weather like what are the actual facts that are out of your control mm-hmm. that you can then work within? Mm-hmm. And he's, a, he's in exceptional that way, which is probably why he's had such a long career and why he is such an amazing mentor because he gives you things you can work on rather than being like, yeah, I'm just not feeling it today, mm-hmm. which gut feeling is a huge part of the backcountry. Like if you or anyone in your group is having second guesses or second thoughts about what's happening, you pull off. Like you have to go with what the vibe is which fuck I just said vibe and I'm like gross (laughs) but it is it's true though like I actually when I first started splitboarding I went out for my first trip ever with Guillaume Otis which I know that you uh interviewed earlier and he talked about the gut feeling he's like gut feeling is a physiological thing that humans have adapted over time and there is a purpose for it so if we keep neglecting it and putting it off like eh, i don't really feel it but i've ridden this line a hundred times like i know where the you know dips are like, just just listen to yourself like turn mm-hmm. everything else down turn your fucking phone off like be present and try and just figure it out based on what you're feeling and talk about it like open up the dialogue 
Hey, you know what, guys? You know where I've had that exact same experience in life? Nowhere. Scuba diving. <laughs> Under the sea. Under, Under the, the sea. sea. Yes. Yes. Yeah. See, we are the same age. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, you know why? Because I'm never fucking growing up, man. That's why. My wife hates oh, it. She hates it. But it, I no, that's not true. Same she loves here. it, but... Uh, I'm never growing up. She only hates it sometimes. <laughs> we were talking today because my cat's name was Simon, and then... He was complaining because his food's getting low. He wanted a treat, so I got him some soft food. Out. And then Darren's <laughs> brother's like, my brother's name's Simon. I'm like, and the things are, uh, I like to do drawings, and the things I do come, and the things I draw come true. Like, we're just saying, he's like, we're the same, we grew up in the same area. I'm like, yeah, Ontario. <laughs> you might need to give her a little context. Don't <laughs> you don't, yeah, even, you you don't know, know who Simon, Simon is? You don't, you don't, yeah, so you don't yeah, know exactly. Simon. So Simon. So was two like, things. She's way younger, and she's not from Canada. Well, not yet. I can hear you. <laughs> That's right. I'm right here. <laughs> like, no, you know, you're in the closet, like, actually. But it's <laughs> right. Right. I am in a closet. You know what? I'm trying to. Is it even better audio quality, or am I just sitting way in a closet? No, no, it's reason? better. It's way the, better. The, okay. the little echo is gone. It's gone. See, this is what I do for you guys, right? We're trying we to create it. quality content. Dude, so yes. good. Well, Simon was a it was a TV show, and he used to things he used to draw would actually come true. It was a little caricature. Mm. Wasn't very high tech cartooning though. From my remembering, it was like a black and white type thing, but I could be wrong. Uh, no, I think it was color when like, but at the beginning in the intro, oh, yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. it was like he was like a little stick figure kid drawn with yeah, chalk. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the Is whole this the guy with the purple crayon. Yeah, kind. Yes, yes. Yeah. And everything okay. he drew came to life. But it was the mm-hmm. theme, the theme song or the opening <laughs> tune was. Was what Chad was singing before. And Chad, yeah, the whole relationship, his cat's name is Simon, and I'm not a cat lover. And Simon, whenever I come over to Chad's house, Simon comes up and, like, he tries really hard to get me to like him. And it's just not going to happen. Kind of like my brother. So I said, hey, my brother's name is Simon. (laughs) Actually, no, I like my brother. Simon's good shit. He's funny. We didn't like each other for a long time, my brother and I, but... We made it. You know it happens. But like exactly. you get to choose everything in life but your family. I know. So it's so important to nurture those relationships if you can. Mm-hmm. Like everything else you can decide to give or take. But fuck, you're born into family. It's the one thing that you've just got to deal with. So yep. If you can make it good and get that relationship solid, it's important. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, right. so Learning that in my old siblings. age. Zero <laughs> siblings. Jesse, you oh, you are so not old, man. I would give anything to be back in my thirties. What were you doing in your thirties? What was that? I was 30s teaching I scuba will diving. Say okay, so <laughs> he was scuba diving. I so was you're, selling. How old are you, Jesse? Sorry, I know I'm not supposed to ask that, but you said it already. But oh, that's fine. I'm 31, remember? and I turned 32 on December 16th. I live in Revelstoke. I can send my PO address if you know, anyone wants to just <laughs> and you think you're send me old? some gifts. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we'll get that from you. Actually, you know what? We're gonna need your address because when you're in the backcountry, you like to ride and video, right? At the same time, do POV, right? Yeah, and my phone no longer has battery capabilities. Perfect. So So, I'll be using a GoPro. So, (laughs) oh, that's even better. So, Pro Standard and Ken Achenbach would love to send you a grill mount. You know, that sounds great. Killer. I would love a grill as well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you a grill the and qu- a mount. The question, which color do you yeah. want the, the grill to be, black or white? Yeah, so the grill mount comes in black Platinum. and white. Platinum. <laughs> done. You can paint it custom yourself. We'll send you, we'll send you, <laughs> you've got the technology. We'll send you a paint marker with I your grill mount. I want that gold grill. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> cool. We'll, we'll set you up with the, 
with a pro standard grill mount because your head is the best gimbal. And it is going to be the most stable POV you've ever shot. Cool. (laughs) What do you, um, yeah. So let's get back. Wait, she asked what I was doing in my 30s. Oh, yeah. So I just kind of, my life is kind of (laughs) funny. So, and I think I told you this before, maybe on a phone conversation we had prior to recording, but uh, when I was 32, so right about where you are right now in your age, I was getting ready to have child number one. Um, who was born in Nelson, BC, by the way. Oh, yeah. And then that's when I learned to snowboard. So yeah. I was an ex-skier, scuba diver who found himself in Nelson, BC, waiting for his son to be born. And while I was waiting, I figured, let me go up to the whitewater and learn how to snowboard. So that's what I was doing <laughs> at your age. You were learning to snowboard. That's right. I rad. was learning to snowboard. That's what got me into Heck all yeah. this. I mean, it's good to learn things when you're older. Like, I'm, I tried, I spent a lot of this summer rock climbing, and it's so good to suck at something. Yes, it <laughs> is. You're like an it adult. is. <laughs> Man, we just had this conversation with somebody else. I mm-hmm. feel like it's deja vu. It was actually Christine. Yes. Last Falecki, uh, right? Falecki. Yeah, we were talking about learning. Oh, she She's is so badass. gracious. We. Yeah. We were, uh, yeah, we were talking about that same thing about learning stuff when you're older, you know, and how cool it is to, oh, cause she was talking about surfing. That's right. And she was learning to surf mm-hmm. and she's like, it's so fun to, to be older and learning something and actually kind of suck at it for a bit. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. I've kind of sucked at everything in my life. Because I'm 52 and I'm <laughs> still going to learn to surf. It's going to happen. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. I'm, I'm just going to find myself there and just yeah. be tenacious and not give yeah. up. It takes time. <laughs> because I'm, it takes I, a long time. You know, unlike you, Jessa, I didn't pound the shit out of my body when I was younger and need five knee surgeries. <laughs> I took it, it easy. smart. <laughs> I took it easy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, no, I, I've been lucky in that sense. I took, up, I took up playing squash at the age of 44, and then I'm one of those guys, like, when, when I get into something, I'm full charge, man. I'm in deep, you know, and I'm trying to do it as much as I can, so... At the age of 44, I found the game of squash, and I loved it, and it became my obsession until COVID hit, basically. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was a lot of years of pounding, like a hard pounding sport that just tears the crap out of things. Um, squash. Yes. It yeah. is. A, I don't know if you've ever played it. It's re, Yeah, it's super high intensity sport. It's, uh, yeah, it was fun, though. I think I'm done. Yeah. I think I'm done, though. You're done with squash. I think so. I think so. I was chasing Chad's dog around my backyard, and and my ankle popped, and everybody heard it. My <laughs> like, two pound dog. That was not. That was not good. And uh, been in physiotherapy yeah, since. I heard that thing crunch. That was gross. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's funny when we injure ourselves outside of the actual sport. Yeah. Like you're trying to get, I don't know, put something into the toolie box on top of your truck and you throw your back out. Like, right. Something <laughs> right. like that. You're like, or, man, that's just not cool. <laughs> that's the one, that's the one downside about not slowing down in your fifth decade, because when you do stuff like that, it just doesn't bounce back as easy. Right. Like the healing process is a little bit longer, um, you know, and, and whether or not it's going to come all the way back is another thing. Well, this is why you need to listen to what Buff said and find yoga in your old age. Right. You need to stretch and heal and take care of yourself and cross train and slow down. Yeah. I I think for me, that's the biggest thing injury has taught me is that you have to actually give yourself, well, you have to rest. So if you are training and you're training hard, like that day of rest is actually so important. And there's so many studies that show like your blood gets enriched, like your muscles Mm -hmm. actually build in that time period. Sleep's important. Like, 
all of that time outside of your activity may be as if not more important. <laughs> I'm going to say more important because I don't really like running. Yeah. But it's like more important <laughs> yeah, sometimes than the actual activity. Yeah. And that like when you say like I spent my youth just getting beat to shit. Yeah. Because I had no concept of cross training. I was like, I'm not going to do squats. I'm just going to go to the hill every day, every day. and throw myself at yeah, rails and, and jumps. Not, and like, not repair or eat properly. And that's kind of where I'm at in life. I've been doing that, working hard and not eating properly and now I'm paying the price. Yeah. Well, you can always eat a vegetable, Chad. That's what I do. Thank you. <laughs> I just gave Chad uh, carrot chips to eat this right before we mm. called you actually. I eat, uh, I get a, uh, my food gets delivered to my house every Monday from Good Food and HelloFresh. No, they're not paying for this advertisement, but that's what I do. <laughs> uh, I found it's helped me get fresh food into my body and not have to worry about a, a recipe. Because I found I found myself eating the same things over and over, over and over, and I'm like, mm-hmm. this sucks. <laughs> so let's get into why Jessa started snowboarding. I've heard about it other places. Uh, your brothers and shut that dog you. up, please, will you? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the dog on my side? Yeah, there, it's actually. Oh, you can hear that? Yeah. Okay. Well. That's okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, whoa! I can barely hear that. My hearing's going. Um, yeah, well, you I, are I you are getting old. <laughs> getting old. I man. know, I know. I'm hoping I can just Benjamin button my way out of here. Like I get <laughs> nice. and then uh, I'll just like become a, a baby by the time I'm 50. Wouldn't that be cool? By the time I'm your age. I no, know. that would suck. <laughs> like, I know. Right? You lose your ability to communicate and walk. <laughs> hey, Jesse, guess what? That's exactly what, what happens. happens. <laughs> uh, Shit. <laughs> Remember diapers? <It's> true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they've made depends for a reason, Jessa. Yeah, it's a true. multi-billion dollar industry. Oh my God. <laughs> Don't okay, even laugh, cut, dude. I'm I'm like a <laughs> I'm like a millennial away from that. <laughs> well, um how did I get into snowboarding? Yeah, yeah so I was I skied when I so I grew up in New York State. So mm-hmm. I would go skiing with my family at nights at this little tiny resort called Catamount. Mm. which is funny to like think about because it's yeah it's tiny it's covered in ice uh my older brother alex he's three years older than me started snowboarding when i was 10 and i was like well that looks sweet my older brother is the coolest i want to do that too so my dad was like sure alex is old you can have alex's old snowboard and it was this old mm. nail so he lawn for a couple years he used to make the like started boards called nail and so i had one and it was probably like it was over my head, probably to like if I could reach my arm out, probably about there. I had duck boots, jeans, and a starter jacket, and oh I would my. just, <laughs> yeah. And so Catamount <laughs> at the time, they so one I'm like the only girl, two I'm really the only snowboarder. Like snowboarding right. wasn't really happening at the time, and it wasn't like I had it easy. So our bunny hill at Catamount was a T-bar, which if anyone has tried snowboarding, learning snowboarding with a fucking t-bar right. it's impossible, impossible. <laughs> that's fucking that's just painful right there all on its own it's just rude it is rude yeah. <laughs> so you like struggle and suffer and maybe like a month later you get to the top of the bunny hill because you figured out the t-bar and then <laughs> they didn't really understand that like a bunny hill should be a gradual slope and probably long no it just was a short <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah slope like they're just like bunny means shorter <laughs> right so you're like like you know, you do the whole thing where you're falling leaf and then you go to try and engage your turn. You're like, fuck that. I'm going way too fast. And you like throw yourself mm. back, but your board is still flat yep. based, pointed directly downhill. 
So you would fly into the cat track, which is the traverse to get to and from lift. So like you're going through basically just people going sideways. So ideally you don't hit someone. If you don't hit someone, then maybe you hit the band of trees that's on the other side of the cat track. And if you don't hit a tree, you just fly into the parking lot. So um, so the first year was really ruthless. Yeah. That's the crazy part is it was super fun. (laughs) <laughs> I know it's funny because I, I'll never forget putting my oldest daughter on skis for the first time, um, taking her down what's called Bob's Bump, which was our little learning hill here locally, and then down the bunny slope. And then the first time I took her on a chair run, and she just bombed straight down, you know, <laughs> like just straight line, bye-bye lift, right past the bottom of the lift, almost into the river. Just you know, just like, <laughs> watch this kid go. And she would just come out of there laughing, just yeah. laughing. Totally. Soaking wet, beat up. Let's do it again, dad. (laughs) No doubt. Totally. Crazy. Yeah. So like the first year, my dad was basically like, we're not going to invest. We're not really going to invest in you until we know if you like the sport or not. Like, you know, it, and I get it. Like for parents trying to get their kids outside, it's like between the equipment and the outerwear, whatever, like you're really heavily investing. Oh yeah. No goggles because why do you need goggles when you're learning to snowboard at night? Um, so the next year my dad's like, okay, you like this, you still don't get boots. Like, so I'm still like on an old board. I'm now starting to like take the lift up and I, I'm just like getting, I want to snowboard with other snowboarders and all of the other snowboarders are dudes. All the other snowboarders want to go in the park. So I was like, well, I'm not going to ride with these loser skiers. Like I'm going to go, I guess, go in the park too. And oh yeah, since I grew up with three brothers, I'm going to have to be better than everybody else here and oh, prove mm-hmm. to them that like, right? I don't get left behind because it was constantly like yeah. you would get off the lift and you'd like watch them kind of like scurry away and you're like, Hey, wait up for me. It's like, no girls allowed. <laughs> so you're That's... like, well, fuck you then. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've heard that from other, on other like, podcasts as well with a girl who now kicks ass at snowboarding, their older brother buddies. She wanted to make sure like she would piss her pants. I forget where she's from. She lives in Pem- Pem- Pemberton right now. <laughs> She'd piss her pants because she didn't want to not like she didn't want to get off the hill because she didn't want to seem like she's not cool by leaving the group. <laughs> so, yeah, because if you leave the group, you may never find them again. Right, totally. and she figured that out because that shit happened to her, and she's like, "Fuck it, I just pissed my pants." <laughs> oh, man. Just trap it in the air. Anyway. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, I, I can honestly say I never pissed my pants to right stay on. and hang out with my brothers <laughs> or with my guy friends. <laughs> Didn't realize that was such a good. victory. But I went good. to extreme yeah. on that one. But that was the story. That's where it came from. I don't know why that jumped. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, so like started doing that, started riding park. My dad eventually was like, okay, you can get a snowboard. There weren't really, like my first snowboard I remember was this LibTech. Mm. It was a men's board. I fully will admit I liked the graphic. Like it was nice. this uh, column with two gargoyles on the tip and tail. And it was sick. It was like, and they were like, oh, the magna traction. And it doesn't have edges around the top. Like, full sales pitch, like, right. bought into that. Yeah. And then I started, like, when I was probably about 14 or 15, I started just going to rail jams and entering the competitions. And there were there was never a women's category. So they, like, didn't really know what to do with me. Mm-hmm. I'd, like, show up and be like, well, like, make space because I'm coming in. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I like started to like win rail jams. I started to like play, like, even if there wasn't a women's category, I'd like place within the men's and I, it's like small town kind of stuff. Like you'd go up to Vermont and ride Okemo or Stratton or these places with bigger parks. You know, I rode at Wyndham a lot and they'd have slope style. 
I was riding a lot in the USASA competitions and I, yeah, I just like thought that that was the coolest thing to do was to go and try and trick things out. Like riding rails was this <laughs> pain and pleasure thing where it was, yeah, like it was so invigorating to figure it out kind of like you're trying to like break this puzzle down like how do I spin onto a rail and then hold it with balance like I don't know I loved it I absolutely loved it I like I started to get picked up by brands like I first rode for a shop called Potter Brothers which is in New York and then I started riding for Solomon and Bonfire when I moved to Vermont and then I got picked up I was on like the Burton they were investing in their women's hard goods line at the time so it was like product testing for them and working with their designers and developers on like what a women's binding needs to do, what a women's board needs to do. Right. I wrote for Forum, Foursquare Special. But like, yeah, so Ooh. like all I ever wanted to do was snowboard and have it taken care of. And I feel so grateful that I had the, the kind of upbringing that was like, no, you don't not go because there's no other women there. Like you right. go because you love what you're doing and you have to make a stand. Like mm-hmm. I remember just like <laughs> I was at a rail jam at UVM where I went to college and it was an early season thing. It's like hay bales and ice, ice rink shavings. And <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> like, this is East coast, right? <laughs> so dumb. Um, hey, we're from back there too. Don't worry. Yeah. Like you get a corrugated pipe set up in the back of mercy hall, like anything you can do to get on snow early season. And they didn't have a women's category. And this is, you know, 2009, I think that was the year. And I'm like, bullshit like there are four women here myself included you have to at least acknowledge that we're here because Mm -hmm. if you don't then women don't see us as being here and Mm -hmm. so like you're not going to show that we exist and and you're never going to get other women out there and it's like so i just remember arguing with you know my friend of mine who was running it will kirchin and he's just like well what do you want a a sweatshirt like it's like it's not about the prizes it's just about like showing we exist and I think this conversation is still happening. Like Jess Kimra is running this event called the uninvited, which is all about like all these events happen and like women don't get invited to these pro events or the prize money isn't the same or the parts aren't equal in snowboard videos. Like we're constantly fighting to just be at the table. And when we are given the opportunity, like the progression in women's sport right now is insane insane like absolutely insane yep. and kelly clark at the like back in the day like boosting super huge out of the uh out of the pipe like remember spencer o'brien was oh, had such a girl crush on her like she was crushing <sighs> it like there were all of these people and women pushing it but there was just no unless you were really paying attention you could easily miss it because men were getting covers and men were getting yep. sponsorships and yeah like even with Forum, they they had me on more of an ambassador program at the time because they said they didn't sponsor women, like specifically, wow. <laughs> which to me was just like, okay, well, I'll just go fuck myself then because you make women's products. <laughs> like You make women's products, you're trying to sell to women's audience, but it was that time period where we're still using supermodels to hold a snowboard and mm-hmm, to yeah. have that yes. be acceptable. Yeah. I will not go down. Well, I could, but I'm I'm just going to digress from that. Like, it's just amazing to see the progression in women's snowboarding. Um, the, the progression is great, but what about the start? Like, what about the grassroots end of it? Do you like? How do you feel about that today? Because having three daughters, uh, myself, who all snowboard, and my oldest daughter being a competitive rider, and watching her grow grow up through that as part of uh, the snowboard club that we have here locally. Now, okay, we're a little bit of an exception because we're so far away from the big city centers that every local competition we had, my daughter was one of three or maybe even only two girls who were competing in her 
well, in her gender, let alone age category, right? So yeah. it was it was fun to watch her compete and it was fun for her to compete, but the competition level wasn't there. You know what I'm saying? Like it was because there were so totally. few girls involved in it. But I feel like now there's more and more. So I've been coaching with the, the local club here. I think I'm going into my third or fourth year as a coach with the club. I've been involved with the club for six years and I've definitely seen the ranks on the girl side grow faster and faster. And we've enjoyed some really good talent coming through this club that are, you know, that are next gen athletes today. Um, you know, like a kid by the name of Jack McDougal who came out of GP and he's competing on a high level now on the world stage. And then, um, Kennedy deck just got picked up by Vans. So she's killing it, you know, and she's yeah. riding hard. So she's another product of the Grand Prairie Nighthawk snowboard club here that went on to do great things. So it's getting better and better, but I still think it needs a lot of help at the grassroots level. Totally. I think like where I come back to it is it's kind of this idea of like an aspiration model or how do you see yourself growing? Like I, when I would show up to competitions, I could only see men. So I'm trying to gauge where I'm at in my own writing right. and I have no reference. I don't have any women I can really look to. Like there are women in magazines, but at the time, like, you're, you'd see like maybe in a page, like in a magazine spread that's like 50 pages, maybe there's five pages that have women and three maybe. of them, they're just standing with the snowboard right. or, or wearing the goggles. Like it's not like, I remember seeing Kelly Clark boosting out of a half pipe and being mm -hmm. like, wow, mm -hmm. holy shit. Like mm -hmm. that's possible. Mm -hmm. But then I go to my local hill and there's nobody there. And it's like, wow, you're the best girl here. It's like, I'm actually just the only girl here. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great. Like, so like I started riding rail jams and slope style on the East coast. There's not really competition in terms of women there. I feel like, you know, within like the first year, it's just me. The second year, it's just me. The third year, there's like one or two more. The fourth year, there's three or four more. And then I go and I like go to competition or like USA, <clears throat> excuse me, would have their finals. Like the one year I went was out in North star and it was like, they had a whole women's category for like broken down in ages. And there was like 20 women in my category. It's like, this is sick. Like, whoa, mm. there's actually other women out there doing it. I'm not on my own. And then I can look at how they're riding and be inspired. And it feels like apples to apples rather than like apples to oranges. Like it's good. You know, I, I, I like to think that riding with the guys and having to feeling like I needed to prove something and push myself to be accepted in that, in that space or at that table, like helped me progress so much, but it wasn't fun. Like, and the other thing too is the vibe has totally changed. Fuck <laughs> vibe. The vibe has totally changed in these competitions. I just I don't know. Like sometimes it's okay. Like, it's vibe, okay. Bro. Um, but yeah, because like you live in Revelstoke now. I know. Right. <laughs> I know. I've, I've tried to stop saying I'm so stoked too. I'm like, gotta get another <laughs> another word, stoked. even though it's true. Try being fifty and saying the word rad just randomly comes out of your mouth. <laughs> People look yeah. at you like, hello. Right. Yeah, nerd. <laughs> but yeah, like p women weren't really nice to each other. Like I remember being at the top of starting gates. Like I used to ride in the U.S. Open back in like 2008, 9, 10. And the women would not talk to each other. It was like pretty cutthroat and not inclusive. And what I see in women's riding now, like fuck, I love like Leanne Pelosi, Robin Vanjin, Hannah Beeman, uh, Marie Francois. Like you mm -hmm. know that they're tight, like the full mm -hmm. moon crew. Yes, All they do is support right, each right, other right. and have a blast. And it's like this inclusive environment where you can actually feel like as a woman, like, oh yeah, I belong here. I can push myself. I can try. 
and it's comparative and it's supportive and that environment is way easier to grow and develop at a good rate rather than being like, I'm just going to huff myself off this jump so that I can maybe compete against these guys. Oh. Like, it's a little bit more sustainable. Yeah. I think that way. Well, speaking of Robin, like you talked about, you just spoke about her and all I can think of is her line in like depth perception. And I'm just like, yeah. fuck, she was, she kills it. She's like up there riding with the boys. Like, yeah, I'm here. She's an animal. animal. But like if you go and you watch full moon, they're all women. And yes. they're fucking crushing. Crushing like, it. Like, I think the conversation, it's its kind of, it's challenging as a woman because the conversation is always like, she's out there crushing it with the boys. It's like, well, why is it about like, if that woman right. is good because she can hang or if that woman's just fucking Looking solid. Good. Like, just good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's like, no question because women have definitely yeah. progressed forever. You know, I'd, I, like again, I used to watch snowboard competitions when I was in the industry and I'm looking for the next girl I can sponsor and back in the nineties and it was like, man, like they're not any better than I am. And I'm the guy that sits in the office all day. Like you should yeah. be, you know, you have that, but again, it's, there's a whole reason why and you're going through it right now or explaining it. I should say right now that it, I mean, there's no position for you. There's no competition. You're just kind of like, well, this works. I get it. I get a, I get a medal every time or I get a prize, but, but I think it's also too, like I would show up to competitions and mm -hmm. be like, well, there's no women's category. Why are you even here? Yeah. So you have to like fight to be there. Right. Like, I mean, it's not like women aren't capable of it and never no, were no. like Ganu back in the day with Barrett Christie had this ad that said our best rider is a female. And that was like mind blowing Boom. at the time. Yeah. yeah. Like a total drop. And I don't think it's because women have changed at all. It's because we've been given an opportunity to like an equal opportunity. We have had more development in our products. It's not just shrink it and pink it. We've had more exposure <laughs> in terms of like magazines and airtime. We have more women out there doing it on the actual hill because they see other women doing it because the gear has gotten better because we're actually supporting each other. Like all of those things have led to at some point and sorry, men, but like some point you stand back and you're like, Oh shit, women are badass. Mm -hmm. We have always been badass mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because we were badass. In addition to raising a family, to having kids, to like cleaning up the house. Like, it's like the pressure that's put on women now is even different because it's like, oh, no, you you can have all the opportunities, but we still kind of have this like subtle expectation that you're still going to perform these roles. Like it's shifting and it's changing and it's amazing to see where we're going as like females. And I don't want to sound feminist, but it's just like I'm so excited to be a woman right now <laughs> and I'm excited about it. I have three nieces and I'm like, these nieces are going to have such a fun time being a woman in this like in this world because mm -hmm. there's been so much fight for what they have available mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they're like i think and maybe i live in a bubble but i think that it's this push that you can do whatever you want you want to go be an astronaut you want to be a pro snowboarder you want to be a, a teacher you want to be a welder mm -hmm. do it like mm -hmm. women can do anything there's no question women are better welders than men I hate to say it, but I am a welder and I watch them when they do weld. Some of them don't get to that position, but when they are in, in become a, a welder with all their tickets, they kick ass. No it's question. becoming yeah. more and more of a norm though, Yeah, which is sweet. And that's, it's funny that you say that and that you mentioned that, Jessa, because I've always told my girls, you know, my big push when they were younger is I was, and, and I have, I do have a son. I don't only have girls, but... But my kids, I told them all, I said, listen, you guys, you know, college, definitely university. And then one day I changed my mind. And I said, whatever you want to do, if you want to go do a trade, if you want to be a welder, I will support you. No, don't. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. No, don't do it. So I got a funny joke. Totally. <clears throat> I got a funny joke. I'm going to bounce it off of the Danny Davis 
we had to talk about him earlier, <clears throat> listening to the bomb hole today. And when Danny Davis was at the Arctic Games when he was younger, someone said, yeah, Jamie Lynn's, Jamie's here. And he's like, he's like, whatever. And he goes, yeah, Jamie Lynn's here. And he goes, oh, who does she ride for? <laughs> well, and, Jamie and then, Anderson. And then like. you go, and then you go, no, no, Jamie Lynn. Best is back no, when, I know, but. When, when he was little. <laughs> and, he, and then going back to your Barrett Chris saying the best rider for our team is a girl. Right for LibTech, that's yeah. kind of funny because anyway, it's, it was funny for me because I was like, he just finished saying that he thought Jamie Lynn was a girl on the bomb hole, and they all laughed at him, and they're like, "Did you run away and hide?" Because no, I just didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of funny, but, that, but now that we know D- Danny Davis for who he is, it's like he—that's—he's fucking hilarious. He's hilarious and he's just real. Oh, like yeah. it just seems like he—he he doesn't have this air about him where it's like I need to say the right thing to impress people. He's just like, yo, I'm chill. Like, yeah, I got nothing to prove. I am who I am. And he, yeah, he's a solid dude. Solid. Yeah. Well, that was, that was a, I, I had a good laugh anyways this morning listening to that, but. Yeah. <laughs> but I think with like this, this whole idea of like, what can women do as being, so I'm working through the guiding program now. I've been guiding at Baldface for yes. the last three seasons and being a woman at the table and talking with other women who have been there, it's, it's drastically changing. And mm-hmm. well, like <laughs> seeing more women out there and feeling like I'm part of this maybe a move, maybe not a movement, but just like more inclusivity around women out there. Like Christine Falecki being the first woman to do her ACMG exam on a split board. Like, and that wasn't that long ago. It's so fucking sick, Mm -hmm. but it should like at the same time, like, I'm just like, why is it, why does it have to be sick? Why can't it just be like more normalized? And I think it does take more people like Christine paving the way and showing that it's possible and sitting at the table and saying like, we belong here. We have a voice. Like, we're here. And I mean, there are so many studies that show that risk drastically reduces the moment there's even one woman within the group. It's something like crazy, like 70% less likely to get into an accident. Don't quote me on those numbers, but drastically reduced just by having a woman around. So why is it that not more women are in guiding? I really think it's visibility. Like I got into guiding, not because I saw other women doing it. In fact, I didn't think guiding was ever going to be in my life, but I showed up at Baldface as a guest at a fucking time of my life. I was trying to pitch Jeff Pensiero on like having an art residency program. Cause I'm like, this place is dope. We built a jump over the sauna. We built a hip out front. Like Travis Rice was here for a day. It's fucking crazy. Like how do I get back here? And he's like, why don't you just come guide for me next year? I was like, what What? (laughs) and he like gave me the opportunity to sink or swim like i owe my entire start in guiding to jeff pensiero just saying like yeah here here like totally dude that's sweet and he's such a it was so sweet yeah and it like it has changed my like that is one of those moments in my life where like i was working full-time at mec in the head office like i was basically making the background images for vendor products and videos white like that Mm -hmm. was my role (laughs) every day in illustrator like really creative work very creative (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and doing my art on the side and i kind of thought that that balance was gonna be it like i will eventually try and invest more and more in art and it wasn't until jeff was like no like there's another opportunity here guiding is a profession and you belong here like nice i quit my mec job i started doing art full-time and the next season i was tail guiding at Baldface. like it was a huge switch yeah. and i'm so grateful for that conversation and that opportunity and i've learned so much and i have so much to learn and i'm so excited about that process like, just think if that didn't <laughs> happen for you you wouldn't be on this podcast right now 
Yeah. <laughs> just <kidding>. I know. <laughs> just, but an probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I had never met a Easy, guy Jared. who was fun until Bald Face, with the exception no of the Ortiz and J.F. Plouffe. Yeah, like, I would see Why? guys... Why, because they were like, all stuck-up serious pricks, or what? I mean... Yes. What? Like, get the fuck than, out of here. We want to get J.F. Plouffe on the, on the show, actually. J.F. Plouffe is the fucking man. Yeah, dude. Oh, he doesn't snowboard, but That's he okay. is one of... Yeah. Well, there's the yeah, Guillaume gotta, does gotta, Guillaume, right? So. He's, he's with Guillaume. Guillaume's a, yeah. <laughs> They're one so of the they same. both... No, I know. I understand that. Yeah. He just did a Helly oh, Hansen post ad on his IG where he's like, He's throwing a line <laughs> over a rock, and then he just leans back. There's a shot of him leaning back, and somebody throws a bucket of water on his jacket. He's like, "Oh!" Uh, <laughs> I sent him a message because, like, JF, he's French Canadian, and yeah. he's like, "Hello, right. I'm JF. I have been riding for a. I am a. Uh, I have been with Hallie Hansen for a decade. I'm like, did a you decade? just say you're a decade? decade? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you worked yeah. in porno, JF. <laughs> yeah. And then he sends, or you see like the photo or the video of him getting water thrown in, like, oh, yeah, you like face shots. Like, That's right. oh. <laughs> perfect. Oh, I love your humor. I love where it goes. Yeah. That's hilarious. You know oh, what's actually good. amazing? And sorry to segue, but like JF and Guillaume, like, I think I said it's 20, uh, 2010, 2011, my first year out here. I'm just getting back on my feet. I And they took me out splitboarding for my mm-hmm. first ever tour oh, in. Sick. BC and it was up we tried to go up Cloudburst it was November and it was fucking atrocious but being from New York I did, had no idea I thought it was the best day ever like right. we're joking it's like raining it's cloudy we don't summit we get like maybe two turns and then we're down climbing like in really thin conditions uh-huh. we're running out of daylight but on that trip I was skinning up behind Guillaume because JF's way in the distance he's probably already on a vista like waiting for us to come out because he's a freaking little bulldog but I asked Guillaume I was like how do you build a skin track like I had like splitboarded maybe once before this and he's just like oh you know you work with the terrain you try and find these subtle little rolls these little ridges like stay on the high ground and you don't fight the terrain you work with it and I started like he's saying this and he's kind of pointing to the ridge we're looking at yeah, with his yeah. finger and I'm starting to think like oh maybe there's an opportunity for like a line here like isn't it interesting to think like as an artist you could create this line from your oh skis gosh, all the way yeah. up a mountain and back down and then within that you have this mountain. like I started playing with single line drawings in the mountains because of that conversation with Guillaume and because of splitboarding like thank you Guillaume not a, <laughs> yeah my mind was here, going here. there right before you said that. I was going to ask you, is I that mean, was that the inception of the single line drawing? Yeah, before that we started was the that, inception. I was going totally. to ask you where that came from. Yeah. Sweet. And it's become this whole practice of like, how do we talk or like, how do you visually show everything's connected and continuous and just like pause and be present in that moment? Like, so there's two parts where it happened. Like it was one that thought of like, okay, your skin track and your ride down, it's all one continuous line. So how do you Correct. work that in visually with mm. your landscape? But it was also at this time in my life where I got to BC and I was fucking depressed. Like I had just gotten off this knee surgery. I had no community here. I like moved with my partner at the time, but I didn't know anyone. It's, you know, September. So it's just pissing rain in Vancouver. And I just wanted to like feel something again, like some sort of joy. And I brought my sketchbook out on this, these hikes and these flipboard tours as a way to get myself to just sit still for a second at the summit and look around and be present. And just to create something small for myself. Like, I never thought that I'd still be doing this single line thing. It is literally a, a warm-up mm. exercise that you learn in art school. Like, as okay. a way to just, like, let go and get loose. Because 
what are you going to create with one single line in like five minutes? Probably fuck all. And so it's like when you give up on this idea that it needs to be a masterpiece and like you accept the fact that there will be flaws and maybe you're shivering and maybe there's raindrops on it, it allows you to actually create and explore. And I think that that um, dichotomy between like giving up the ability, like the need for it to be something major and thinking about that with splitboarding, like I now am okay with walking away from summits and not being the best rider in the park and not having to prove something for other people because the process of just working and walking and being outside and being susceptible, like, like feeling the terrain and feeling the textures of just life. That is what it is for me. Like mm. that is why mm. I split for it is to feel all of that. <laughs> That sounds like very hokey, but <laughs> I loved it, I man. That's you, on you took my mind away from this Every little day. studio room that we're in right now. Yeah. Good. And I, like I think it. that like, like everybody goes out and split boards for different reasons. For sure. But I and I think that, you know, in this guiding practice that I'm in and in this educational pursuit, the biggest thing that I've taken from my mentors is they've made mistakes in moments where they weren't present or where they didn't speak up or where they had to get to the summit. Like, I don't know why we are so obsessed with the summit and we don't look around while we're walking up and we aren't present in that moment. Like the process is what's important, mm. at least for me. And that's what I focus on. It's like, if you're not engaged in your process of whatever it is you're doing, then the summit never feels so good. Like it's never going to satisfy whatever it is you're looking for because the summit doesn't, fucking matter and sometimes you get there and it's socked in and you can't see anything anyway or your phone dies so you can't get your super sick selfie <laughs> at the top like you're just gonna have a story of your walk where if you weren't present and you were just thinking about the summit you don't really remember anyway <laughs> nope. i think the well, more living, we slow living, down yeah living <laughs> in the moment like let's be here let's be now like that's the idea behind the backcountry and splitboarding definitely because you need to be if you hear that woof in the snow you need, if you notice some you know uncertain like the snowpack is different or you noticing there's a lot the wind is picked up or the, you know there's a lot of different variables that we need to be aware of as we're going up opposed to just being lit dude like i watched in the video last night no before you go the utah avalanche i put it out five days ago and the guys the, the one guy speaks up because you guys everybody watches our snowboarding videos and sees us ripping these sick lines and then everything's great everything's that just we just walk up and Boom, there you go. Because no, there's lots that goes on behind the scenes that nobody realizes. And, so much. And that's what this is all about because I don't know shit about it, but I'm learning every single episode something new. And that's once I do go my get my Avi one, it'll be awesome because I'll have a lot more knowledge happening. Yeah. I think you just have to stay curious. Yes. And that's either in like wanting to get more information before you step out and stay curious while you're stepping out. Like as you're walking up, Put your pole in the snow. Feel what the snowpack feels like. Are there layers underneath there? Is there a crust? Is the weather changing? How are your people doing? Does someone yes. have like a gnarly blister? And the thing about it too, like, it's not just about avalanches. Like your safety is, it's this whole thing. So you're looking at avalanches, of course, because it's the area that you're walking within. But it's also simple things like wear your fucking helmet. Like, this week, and I don't mean to bring this up to be negative, but like, on Monday, I had a friend pass away in Kananaskis after skiing. And he wasn't caught in an avalanche. He was skiing out with his helmet in his backpack and, tr like, hit a rock and hit his head and, like, and died in the mountains. And it's, it's those moments where it's, like, you had your helmet with you. Put it on. Like, 
you've got to take care of your people and of yourself. And it's not just avalanche hazard that you're dealing with. You're dealing with everything else. Like take a first aid course. Know if someone's going to go into cardiac arrest, like what to do, like know how to treat a broken limb. Like all of those things affect your day in the backcountry outside of avalanches. Like, yeah. It's the more information you can bring to the table. And I think that Baldface and John Buffery have done a great job at uh, they call it risk awareness. This course that they do with Pat Moore mm-hmm. is they sh- they talk about first aid. They have these case studies where it's like, yeah, Jeremy Jones was caught in an avalanche and broke both his legs. He was on the surface, and it wouldn't have like killed him. But like if they hadn't been able to get him out into the cat and to like splint it and to move him safely, he could have died out there. It's like right. that's hypothermia coming in. So if you can show up to your course with some first aid and actually be an asset whether it's like to a mentor that you're asking for help or to the day, like have those conversations and come with something, people are going to want to go out with you because you're going to build off of each other's skill sets and you're going to bring something there. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's oh man. I love, <laughs> thank you for that rant. That yes. was fantastic. Entirely. Have you, have you been a part of the risk maturity yeah. course? Have you done that? Yeah. So I, it was actually funny. My first year at bald face, I only had one shift on the schedule and it was right after training and somebody couldn't show up. And I was like, Oh, excuse me, Mr. John Buffery. Could I please stay? And he's like, why? I'm like, I just really want to learn. <laughs> like, you know, such a nerd. Like I am so keen. And so Mr. I basically John just Buffery. like, Mr. John Buffery, like just dug holes and, you know, helped bury transceivers. And then last year was part of it as well. And it, it's, I love that that I've been a part of it over three years because the first year, all they asked is like show up and be engaged and we'll teach you a bit about avalanche safety and how to like choose good spots on slope and be protected and what to do, whether you're the rider or the photographer. And this past year, I know you talked with Bob, but this past year they required that you take a first aid course. So everyone showed up with some first aid and to watch like then we were able to get into rope rescue and how to move mm-hmm. people around slopes. And like in our scenarios, like people were way more engaged. Like you're watching them build. So one of the scenarios is like <laughs> I was broken. I was like wrapped around a tree <laughs> with a broken leg or something. And I remember Alex Andrews got there and he's like, oh, my God, are you OK? We need to help you. And he like starts just like putting palpitations on my chest. I'm like, dude, I can talk. Like, you don't need to give CPR like I have a broken leg. In this. But they were able to build like a sled out of snowboards and using like they all had ski straps and knew kind of what to do and move things forward. And we're just engaged. Like so it helps to feel confident with your crew. Like That's so in the these filming. Yeah. Confidence is key. Confidence, Confidence is, key. is so key. And now it's not cool to show up without any information. Like if you show up and you don't have your AST and you don't know anything about first aid and you didn't look at the weather the night before and you like you're not real like your friends are not gonna be stoked on you. Mm-hmm. And it used to like and I love that that sort of shift is happening. It's like we are holding our friends accountable because your buddy is the person digging you out of the hole. Exactly. Your buddy is the person that's going to, you know, send the spot signal to get search and rescue to help you stay alive. Like, so if your buddy sucks, your whole day is like potentially going to be a nightmare. So the better that you can be for your friends and your friends can be for you, like everybody wins. And, and so like learning. <laughs> and so wise this podcast was born. Yeah. It's exactly that. I mean, that's exactly Chad Mind's story in that in a nutshell right there um, with regards to why we started. So it's, 
it is becoming the norm amongst the current community of backcountry users that having all that information and knowledge and practice is the key, mm-hmm. word, right? Practice, practice, practice. Um, but this season is kind of scary in a sense, right? I mean, everybody kind of seems to have the same consensus is that there are going to be, there's going to be a huge influx of new users to the backcountry, right? I mean, you're already, we're already feeling it from what we're hearing, the buzz. Just is from that hiking. Stores are selling out already yeah. of gear, right? And be that due to lack of availability of product because shipments aren't making it in on time and, and what they have is being sold already. But it, it's it's a buzz. It's it's happening that a lot more people are turning to the backcountry due to lack of operations being open and mm-hmm. um and uh and travel right so you know it's yeah. uh, get under get on top of those four wheels and move to where you can to get into some backcountry park on the side of the highway and just go up which is great love to see it because uh, you know i love the same reason why you love snowboarding is why i love or splitboarding is why i love splitboarding i love being in the backcountry i love taking my time moving up i love smelling the smell of the trees and mm-hmm. feeling the wind blow across my face i love being unexposed face shots. <laughs> I, love, I love face shots. <laughs> That's, right. I love, uh, That's a sound bite. <laughs> it is. White face shots. <laughs> I, love, I love being tucked into the trees where, you know, you can hear the wind above and around, but you can't feel it right where you are. Mm-hmm. I love being on the exposed areas oh, yeah. where you're just battling it and your hood is smacking you in the face, you know, and you're, and you're dealing with the mm-hmm. straps. I love all that part of it, you know, and a lot of people I think are going to get out and experience this year. We're, we're just hoping people do it in the right way. Right. And then go with their mentors. That word is so big nowadays, man. I've been hearing that word more and more. The whole mentor. It's your reticular activation system is turned on. It's my mind is seeing it. It's called (laughs) a reticular activation system in your mind. Okay. It's turned on. So you hear it everywhere. Uh, When you buy like a new car and you see that car everywhere, it's your, it's not by chance. It's your reticular activation system in your brain that turns that on. Damn. Thanks, bro. <laughs> See, when yeah. I say podcast, hey, can we, and um, I w- I'm, I'm really curious because, uh, so you, I mean, your experience at Baldface and that group of mm. backcountry gods up there and all those pros that you get to interact <laughs> with and stuff. I mean, starstruck, big right. time. You know, talking to JP, Jeff Pensiero was a fucking huge deal for me. Yeah. Um, one of my heroes because I didn't grow up with all the 90s snowboarders being my heroes. You know, I just, uh, I was the old guy who just loves the Nelson area period and the <laughs> idea of bald face. But, um, but man, buff, like meeting buff, you know, virtually <laughs> over oh, the phone and talking dude. to the man just affected me for the rest of my life. And, uh, man, you got to live with the guy, right? I mean, you, I know <laughs> that, that's, that's sick, dude. That's, I, I just can't even, I can't even, can't even, can't even yeah i feel so fortunate to have gotten to know buff so yeah i worked with him a bit at bald face i then started renting in the first floor of his house so we lived in the same home we two springs ago we went to svalbard on a trip with burton snowboards together so we spent a week in a boat which actually was crazy so it was a week there with burton we get back into service and then the boat asked me if I would stay on and guide and cook for underwear models that what? were coming on the boat. What? The, what? the question is, were there male or women underwear models? Well, it's so funny you say that. No, it, it matters because like, so yeah, it's it this guy. So Albert, the Spanish skipper and Stein Retclaff, the um, t- North Tahoe <laughs> guide who was with it. They were like, 
oh yeah, Jessa, it's going to be a bunch of underwear models. I'm like, sweet. Well, as a chef and guide, I will only have to serve cucumbers and rice cakes. So that's great. (laughs) (laughs) But then, so then the Burton team leaves and like, what a crazy experience. And then these huge Norwegian dudes show up holding bags. I'm like, oh, are you just dropping off the stuff? They're like, where are we going to stay? I'm Thor and I'm Bert. (laughs) Also, it was dudes. It's a bunch of huge Norwegian Viking underwear models for a week. (laughs) Just as like, eye candy. Uh, I'm like, yeah, what up? Yeah, what up? Um, they'll only like the joke on me though is they ate way more. So like I had to bake no bread doubt. every day, yeah, and, like, making like reindeer stew, and I'm trying to translate this Norwegian recipe that they had like. So the chef had that couldn't then come had sent over recipes, and the food was already ordered. And I'm trying to use Google Translate for like what should be lasagna, and it's like take, you just see take like, <laughs> it was so fucked, and it's like take three cups of a reindeer's brothy head and and uh and one was like two tablespoons of a night stew and I'm like what is a night stew yeah. and like the the chef who was leaving his uh his name was christian he's just pissing himself he's like this translation is terrible this doesn't mean anything <laughs> like you need a goblet of blood to put into this which like, no. <laughs> is brew yeah but it was amazing and we rode some like really amazing lines like the burton okay. trip was fantastic and then to have another week out there and to get to experience it with a different crew, it was yeah quite. Anyway, so we're talking about buff. So like buff and I get a week on the boat <laughs> and together. Buff guys, and then the, <laughs> yeah, shit. buff and then buff guys, and then the next. So this past spring, I got another trip with buff. We went out to Japan with Burton again, and we went to Mount Rashiri. Unfortunately, it was in March, so like we basically get out to this island, and then the whole world explodes and trudeau is like <laughs> trudeau is like if you're a canadian abroad it's time to come home while well, you still can and we're like oh damn it like but the sushi's so good and buff is like i'm not leaving <laughs> <laughs> i am not leaving early oh, buff's not leaving i guess i shouldn't leave either <laughs> um so that was crazy to kind of come back to quarantine and covid and like the abrupt end to winter but it was amazing it was yeah, but to be on trips like that with Buff, who again is like, he's the safety wrangler, right? Like he can objectively he's look at things. Snowda. That's just what it is. I just, Joel McBurney calls him the safety mangler. <laughs> he's, had, <laughs> he's had a couple instances, which I just love. Like For a guy who's so accomplished, he's actually quite humble. And I think that that to me is such a good, um, a good thing for mentors to have because it, like as a mentee, I can then ask him questions that might be like, you know, when this avalanche happened and you kicked off something that then took a bunch of trees out of mm-hmm. you know, scary cherry, how did you deal with that? Like that must have been cr- And he'll like answer you honestly. So I think like being humble in the mountains and being humble about your own process is a really good opportunity to help people learn and to learn yourself. Like the mountains don't care who you are, how experienced no. you are, like there it's it's its own it's its own spirit <laughs> you're not gonna stand there with your ticket go no you must stop i have my avalanche one course that's right that is it, right it goes nope we're blowing you over yeah so and you, then, like you said practice like yeah and i think like there are going to be more people in the backcountry this year and i i know that it's scary to think about like there's so many people on top of each other and overhead hazard and i just hope that 
the new users and current users just like really look for education, like are really good at looking at forecasts and really cautious about how they step out. Because the other thing about having so many places closed down is this program that Joey Vosberg had talked about, InfoX, is all that information comes from heliski, catski, touring guides. Mm. And these guides aren't going to be operating. So there's going to be less information for the avalanche bulletin that goes to the public to pull from. Hopefully all these guides that are going to be out of work are giving courses and people can get educated, but the information might be a little bit less robust than it has been in the past, potentially. That's a great point that you bring up. Never even considered that. Yeah. That the lack of operations would lead to then the lack of information coming in. Yeah. Like every morning and every night at bald face, we, as our team of, let's see, there's four cats, our team of eight guides, we sit down, we talk about everything that we saw in that tenure We all have our heads in the snow as tail guides. We're constantly digging lead guides are also as well. And all of that information just from our team goes in. So that's like, that's huge. And that covers our entire area, which, you know, if you're in the Kootenays and you're trying to go into the backcountry there, like you kind of look at that specific forecast, which then feeds into the public. So it's, yeah, that's a bit of a tangent, but there is going to be less information put into the public bulletin just because there's not as many operating. Right. So what, uh, I'm kind of curious what your guide path looks like from this point. My guide Mm. path? Your guide. Yeah. Your path to becoming a a fully certified certified ACMG guide. guide. Yeah. So right now I have my CSGA level one and I've been working as a tail guide. Um, and this year, you know, I actually, I look at it with a silver lining of being like, For the ACMG, they want to see that you're going out on your own objectives and that you're touring into different uh, environments and and doing these things on your own rather than behind necessarily like a cat or a lead guide. And so I'm going to spend this whole winter touring and working on my own skill set and making uh, decisions for myself in the mountains and with other people. And hopefully like I have Rogers Pass now as my backyard. I'm working with the resort here, the Rebel Stoke Mountain Resort, like ideally be on the coast a bit and, you know, leaning on my mentors and asking Guillaume for like what he thinks about things and maybe working with coast mountain guides, but just trying to spend a lot of time on my feet and with my head in the snow and really also considering like, do I still want to be on this guiding path? I love learning so much Mm -hmm. and I love helping curate the adventure for people. Like I think Marty talked about it really well. It's like you don't ride for yourself when you're guiding. You have to ride for the group and being able to stoke somebody out and maybe point out a cliff drop or set them up for a really nice pocket of snow. Like that gives me so much joy. Like I have had so many good pow days in my life that now my shift when I'm out in like this guiding program or this guiding mentality is I just want to like share the stoke, right? Yeah. Like I want other people to get fall in love with the mountains so that maybe we'll all protect them more. And maybe with these experiences out there, we'll be a bit more sustainable and mm-hmm. we'll be a bit more simplified perhaps. So that's a long way of saying like, I'm going to go tour a lot this winter and ride cool. with no, my that's friends. Cool. <laughs> that's, you need well, to keep in, keep, uh, keep me in touch on that one. Cause I'm heading out that way. I don't know when yet, but I'm heading out that way. I have to go take te- your course. I'm gonna go- That's the first <laughs> thing. But yeah. I might do it out there with Guillaume. Actually, we'll see. You can but go do yeah. a blast, a blast one with Marty. Schaefer. Well, I have to do that. I have, I'm going to be going to. I'm supposedly going to be teaching Ken Ockenbach's daughter how to weld. So that's this winter. Oh, <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 
my son doesn't give a shit about it, so I'm also teach somebody some <laughs> my skills. You gotta pass it on. I'm teaching my son how to trade so instead. There, learn how to make money. There you go. Yeah. So, how do you like Revy so far? I love Revy so far. Nice. Yeah. Over the past few years, I've spent a bit of time here in the winter, like coming out to Rogers Pass and working with Kapow during Split mm-hmm. Fest, and yeah. and I love the like what I really missed while I was living in Nelson, which was such a fun community and a like great place to live for a couple of years. But you don't see the tops of mountains. Like when right. I was living in Squamish, when I live in Revelstoke, I can leave my house. I have a flat area I can ride my shitty little bike around, and I can look at the top of Begbie, and I can look at. Uh, Cartier and I can see Alpine and I can remember that it's snowing out up high like right. it's stunning here so visually I'm really inspired here I think the community has been so welcoming and supportive uh there are a bunch of really fun and like thoughtful artists in town too like oh, and cool. it's a town of humble crushers like there are so many people who have done incredible feats out here but you would never know it because it doesn't serve you to talk about how sick you are because the person who's probably next to you or talking to has just summited four mountains in a row like right and they're just know. smiling like and really nodding inspiring. while you're telling the story yeah that's great. totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, like, that's awesome. yeah greg hill christina lusty andrew McNabb, like so many freaking crushers oh, <laughs> and the terrain yeah. here is exceptionally challenging like when you go to the pass you walk off the highway and you're in pretty complex terrain like without yeah. trying too hard like there's open glaciated features there's overhead hazard there's cliffs and like joey was talking about like there's a lot of these places where people are putting skin tracks up where they don't know the history of the slope and how it reacts and there's all sorts of content mm-hmm. out there about like how gnarly and real the terrain is here. So it requires you as like a local to really take stock in that, which maybe is why all the locals here are freaking gnarly. <laughs> like, so inspiring. Mm, that's crazy. So in essence, it's <laughs> actually kind of like a like a good little nursery for a guide too, right? Like for 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 oh. growing as a guide and and getting that experience that the ACMG requires you to have right and and putting yourself in the different zones and the different regions and making your decisions absolutely yeah and i okay, think like cool. with baldface it was super fun because the like there's no glaciated terrain there there's alpine features but we don't have a lot of like big overhead hazard that we're dealing with so what what it allowed me to do is really have my head in the snow and look at the layers and look at like the snowpack and focus on that. And also to focus on the human factors. Like Mm. you have 12 people you're trying to usher or herd these cats down a slope. (laughs) That's my favorite line. (laughs) Herding cats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at times it is exactly that. Or maybe like someone's a bit over their head and you have to like help them with their technique on how to move down slopes. Like, I was just listening to the CSGA AGM meeting and we talked a lot about like how technique and helping, like helping someone get their turns better so that they can actually physically make it down the slope is a lot of what you're doing as a guide. Like they talked a lot about it in the heli ski operations. It happens in cat ski. I'm sure in touring, it's the same thing. Like people get so excited and they may sometimes get over their head or they need help. And you have to remember like, yeah, we're in the backcountry. We're dealing with avalanches, but we're also dealing with humans, and humans need to be like taken care of in ways as well. Like they're out of their element. They, I don't know, their stuff is icing up. Like they're having a bad day, and you just need to tell them it's gonna be okay. Like, all of that is actually part of guiding. It turns out. <laughs> well, you know, so, I think uh, I think yeah, as support, a good guide and support. keeping your yeah and keeping your group 
like taking away the pressure, right? Like making it so that they don't feel like they have to be a top notch rider. Right. And, and letting them, letting them be humble to their ability. No. When you're in the backcountry. I think you just have to be honest with where you're at. Like, and at Baldface, you get a lot of really high level clients who are like CEOs of companies and, and big wigs at offices, but they get into the backcountry and it's just like, Oh, we are so out of our element. Like I'm a dentist from New Jersey. What am I doing here? And you have to just like keep the stoke alive. Like, and for a lot of these people too, they get one ski trip a year and that's it. So it's like, you're not there to like tell them what to do. Like you're not there to lecture them. They're adults. And yeah, sometimes you have to make your, (laughs) your instruction a bit more precise so that they can, get their shit together but most like they're all there to have a good time and so you have to adjust your style of communication within the realm of safety so that everybody is still excited to go back or else they're never going to be stoked to come back to your operation which is what jeff talked about he showed up to heli ski or cat ski they treated him like garbage because he was a snowboarder and he was then like you know what fuck you guys i'm gonna go start my own operation where all my guides are psyched to be out there Mm -hmm. it's about riding and having fun and a good time and that's why we're there, right? No we just question. want to have fun. <laughs> exactly. Enjoy the yeah. pow. Well, it's funny. I listened I to uh, Jeff being interviewed by Mark Sullivan on the snowboard project a long time ago, I guess a couple of years ago now. But, last, uh, last year. Was it last it year? It feels like yeah. forever. I know. It does feel like forever. Yeah, I know. But in that episode, he talked about how you know he gets that dentist from New Jersey who comes out, right? <laughs> who used to be a sender. You know, in yeah, his yeah. 20s and 30s, yeah. and he comes out and he's got dad bod and he's like <laughs> trying to throw it in the backcountry. And he's learning really fast that, yeah, you know, next season I got to get in shape to come out and do this. And and so they go home and they spend that next year getting themselves in shape to come out and really feel the backcountry properly, right? And being able yeah. to travel properly, so... And that's like the same thing, like he's exercising his body to be stronger, but that's where educating your mind is going to make you feel more confident in the backcountry. Yeah, yeah. If you don't come in with a bit of that pre-work, it's going to affect your experience. And if you can, if by reading the forecast the day before or by taking an AST course or by doing a bunch of squats, it's going to like make your experience better. Why wouldn't you? Like, it's all about having the most fun, (laughs) which I think like Jeff gets it. Like Marty and Kapow, like he's built oh, this program, yeah. which is all about just like, why are we here? We're having a good fucking time. Like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you can just, yeah. Marty just, it seeps out of him fun. Oh, oh yeah. entirely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's funny because we have a, we have a listener who, uh, who's been stoked on the podcast since it started and he's an older guy. And he's been to Baldface, I think now six years or five years in a row. I think this year would have been his sixth if it could have happened. Um, and he lives in Florida. Yeah. Right. So like he's, uh, he's an older guy, but he is just, and I know in, you know, when he's at home in Florida, he's skateboarding, he's surfing, he's doing everything he can sideways. I mean, he's older than me even. Right. So that, that's telling you something, right? Yeah. He's after, but he's, he's out at bald face every year. So he's keeping that mindset going all year long in fucking Florida. And then heading up to Nelson to, to get some deep pal. That's got to be sick. That's so good. Yeah, we get some amazing guests. Like this past year, I guided 12 Mexicans who came up, who come up every year. And they had this guy, they called him Cache, which is apparently for big cheeks or chipmunk or something right, like that. Right. Probably chipmunk <laughs> or cheeks. 
And uh, he had, we learned out late or turned out later, he had only snowboarded four days in his life, but he's like a really good kiteboarder. So, oh oh my. And these, like, these guys are partiers. Like, so the night before they get lit, and then we get to the top of this run called Cherry Bowl, which is just a big open slope, like, pretty, as green as it gets at Bald Face. Like, Mm -hmm. we have trees pretty much everywhere, but this, like, six turns open for days and he like goes to take a turn falls he's like ah too madre like the turns get ah it's like God, and he's like working really hard and then he starts throwing up in the snow and his buddies down there are just dying and laughing and like Paris like, he's like hey Kache why are you so slow and he's like ah. That's awesome. and like yeah they like so it, you have to like change the the day based on your guy. Like this is an, a great example of human factors. Like you got twelve right. hungover Mexicans who <laughs> see snow like once a year, and all they really want to do is party and have a good time. Like we leave the we're supposed to be pulling away from the lodge at eight thirty, and the guys like, hey, uh, how much would it cost to leave at like nine thirty? <laughs> push back the <laughs> <back. laughs> like, day. Yeah. It's like, no, like show up at 8.30. Let's do this. Yeah, totally. um, I'm stoked to go riding. Come yeah. on, guys. Let's do this. I know. I know. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that was also a big learning curve. Like my first year, I worked a, a couple media shifts and I didn't realize that media is really, really slow. And it's a lot of like you get to the ridge and then you spend all day there and you wait for the light and you build the wedge and then you wait and then. And I was just like, but I'm a, I'm like guiding. I just want to shred pal. Like, well, this is how it actually works. And I remember telling uh, JP that, and he's like, oh, you got to watch the eternal beauty of snowboarding, which is a video that uh, Jerome Tanon made. And it's like, it's basically exactly that. Like snowboarding videos look sick, but it is slow to make. (laughs) It's a lot of standing around. Like a ton of behind the scenes. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. eh? Oh yeah, I think I've it's seen such that. It's a actually. good film. There's a clip in it where he's yeah. just like, "Yeah, snowboarders have really expansive vocabulary," and it's like, "Dude, dude, 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 sick, dude. Dude, <laughs> dude, sick. Yeah, right. Watch oh, it; it's pretty good. I think I have watched it where they're all sitting like when when a snowboarder isn't snowboarding, he's watching snowboarding, and he's not watching snowboarding either. Snowboarding or talking about snowboarding. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. I've watched it. That's kind <laughs> yeah. of what I still do. Even though I'm not even a pro. Yeah, actually, Jerome Tanon, a plug for him. I'm super stoked to be a part of it. He just released this book. It's 288 pages. It's called Heroes, Women and Snowboarding. And it features all of these photographs that he's taken on a film camera, six by six by eight, six by seven format, Pentax. Um, And then he's etched into it. And it's women all around the world. It's illustrations and graphics from people like myself, Hannah, Eddie, like, um, and it's just basically like a, a collection of these badass riders. So like Natasha Zurich is in it, Ooh. Mary Walsh, Robin Vangin, Leanne Pelosi, like Anna Dang. Gasser. Like it is a freaking piece of beauty. Like a 20, 288 page hardcover book. I can't recommend it more. And it has like personal stories from all of the writers and illustration for illustrators and artists like myself. And it's it's a really good collection of just showing like the range and diversity within snowboarding, like Desiree right. Malakon is like full street, but then you have Annie Boulanger who's just backcountry badass. Yeah, she's like, a killer on that stuff. Totally. I, everything yeah. I watch, she's like, I don't know, I'm like, where do you get all this money? I don't even sponsored it. Well, she might be sponsored. <laughs> but man, like you get to go heli riding all the time and I'm like, you're, you're hanging out in spring, natural springs. and Oh man. 
Yeah. But, you know, speaking of these girls, these iconic girls, which one did you look up to? I looked up to Victoria Jillis because she was hot as fucking hell. <laughs> and she was killing it. Like, I mean, like, again, riding with the guys. It's like, dude, this chick is like in the big Alaska lines. Like, I wish. And I, I wouldn't even know how to ride that stuff back then. But, yeah. Who yeah. Did you, who did you look up to? Well, it's funny, like, I had no perception of Big Mountain, which is, like, hilarious to think back because, like, Victoria Jellers and, like, people were shredding it there at Christie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I was so much a park rat. Like, I, like, it would, we used to ride at Stowe in college and, like, people would hike the chin and I'd be like, what idiots, you're going to hike for an hour, whereas you can, like, take the chairlift, hit some pow turns and then hit the park on the way out? That's what's up. Which, like, looking back, I'm like, you're an idiot. So I was looking at, like, like uh, Spencer O'Brien, Kelly Clark, yeah. uh, Tora Bright, um, Hannah Teeter, like, all of the athletes that were doing more slope style. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until moving to BC where I was just like, oh, powder. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think I always say, like, I retired to the backcountry. Like, I basically, on the East Coast, was like, well, I'm told I'm never going to snowboard again. Like, I'll just hang up my, you know, park riding days. And then I get out west. I'm like, I'm just going to go walk in the mountains and be zen and not really snowboard even. It's just about walking. And then was like, oh, well, actually, powder's pretty sick. Oh, every landing is soft. Soft. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. we talked a little bit about your knees. So how are your knees doing with the backcountry here? You're loving that? Or is it? Uh, is there any suffer for you at all, like on the tour part, maybe? I mean, I suffer every day, right? Like, I am the type of person where the moment I think about exercising, I'm already sweating. and like, But it's part of it. And what's so good about splitboarding is you're walking up the mountain, which means your legs are getting really strong. Yeah. And it's sustainable. Like, I think why I broke myself off so much on the East Coast, other than the fact that it's icy and other than the fact that I was riding rails, was because like you can get just, you can like finish your run, be super stoked, get it back on the lift. And by the time you get to the top, you're actually super bagged. And maybe you should have taken lunch and maybe you should just stop riding for the day because you haven't checked in with your body. But it's pretty easy to know when you're tired splitboarding because your legs just fail. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. like you're Been walking there. around. <laughs> yeah. There. But I think like, splitboarding makes you really strong like and especially with guiding you have a bit of a heavier pack like you have your whole first aid kit you've got an in reach you have radio you have all this extra gear to keep yourself safe your clients safe you have to make sure if there's like a an issue you have you know things that can either extract you from the backcountry or keep you warm and insulated from the snow like you're carrying all this stuff on your back so you're getting strong that way you're walking up a mountain you're getting strong that way and ideally you're old and wise and you're stretching at night sometimes (laughs) sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> we all, all find our way to yoga <laughs> the mornings yeah, are, fun, are well. where i find it really crucial to stretch you know like that oh, like yeah. that dog waking up type of thing you know like just getting it out yeah, there i'm the guy that gets out of bed and runs yeah that's good <laughs> like, no 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 yeah, not, right. not that way run, <laughs> no no running oh, to like, the bathroom <laughs> running to get my poop in a group to get out of the house to go somewhere or to get down to the yeah. office or oh, man. which i need to slow down yeah, I got to slow down and stretch. Like I tore my shoulder in June and I notice in the mornings I'll feel it if I didn't stretch at night. And if I'm not good to my body, like my shoulder is now like the nagging mom, like stretch. Yeah. <laughs> you should be your like physio dummy. And I'm just like, ah, oh, fuck, fine. <laughs> but it is true. It's like the better you are to your body stretching and strengthening, the better you feel. And yeah. it's like, yeah. Trying to relearn that. <laughs> yeah, did you get a good taste of that Ashtayanga yoga that uh, that Buff does while you were? Yeah, 
<laughs> I never went to Ashtanga with Buff, but I, I used to, when I lived in Vancouver, I did a lot of Bikram. And what I liked about hot yoga is it's the same sequence for the entire hour and a half every time. And so when you're recovering from an injury, and at this time my knee was still pretty atrophied and I'm still trying to figure out if I can be a functioning walking part of society is you can see progress really simply. It's like if you're always running 5K, you'll always like you'll see oh, the progress yeah. very simply. Like it's the same versus if you're doing and Ashtanga is that too. It's the same sequence every time. So it's a really easy way to gauge your progress. Um, so yeah, I definitely uh, done a lot of Ashtanga, Bikram, hot yoga, Hatha, like I didn't couldn't really get into uh shoot, what is it called? It's like a breathing kind of warrior uh yin yoga it's a lot of breath work i went to yin yoga and uh, squamish at north yoga when i lived there and i remember it's like we were in this sort of squat and it's like okay now just yell it's like ha 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 like, <laughs> like, like, this is making me feel things that i don't know if i want to feel right now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or one of the po- it's like okay, now hold this pose. We'll be here for seven minutes. I'm like, what? <laughs> and it just forces you to breathe and to mm. like meditate slow on down. it and yeah. slow down. Crazy, yeah, crazy. I- I've got a question. I'm just blasting through your web page here and your murals. When did that start happening for you? And how yeah, does that, that feel was... to like step? You know. You- I'm going to ask the question again, or I'm going to make it more elaborate. <laughs> but you know, you got to well, you got to weld. Fuck, you got to paint something at you know the zero degrees, like you're in your face. But then when you step back, it all makes sense. Yeah, it's super hard. Um, I guess I'll start with first. I love it. It's my favorite thing to create because I'm not making paintings now. I'm creating environments that right. can be immersive and people yeah. can be within. And being a like more of a landscape painter now, it's like I see it as I'm taking the alpine and I'm bringing it to these urban centers or I'm bringing it to the place that it, you don't necessarily see the alpine go because it's socked in or you live in a city or like you have the opportunity to really transform and re- and, and enliven a space where maybe it wasn't before. Um, my first mural really was in Whistler. Right. <laughs> it was crazy. I like had been applying for a lot of murals and Whistler had a, a, a commission out from the resort municipality and it was a 2,500 square foot mural in the Creekside Holy underpass. Shit. <clears throat> oh, yeah, and they, one, yep. they awarded it to me and I was like, yeah, this is sweet. And then I remember going to the site and I was like, Oh, what Whoa. have I done? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what oh did I get my myself God. into? <laughs> yeah. Like never painted a mural, like basically submitted these watercolor sketches that I had created. One was of the Tantalus range, which you see as you drive up to Whistler from the city and the other side was going to be the kind of the spearhead range. So mm-hmm. all of the mountains that you see as you're on the top of Whistler Black Home and it, Mount Curry was included. And just kind of this idea that as you move through the sea to sky, you have these mountain ranges on both sides. Right. And bringing that into this dark and dingy underpass. But man, was I over my head. But I'm like stubborn. I, you know, I grew up with boys. and like, I can do this. I like, mm-hmm. I got no job right now. I was, <laughs> I just barely recovered from my Achilles surgery. So that was a whole nother thing. But. It was a fucked environment because it like <laughs> the wall wasn't even straight. Like the one side is about 90 feet wide and it's these concrete panels where it's like a foot and a half flat. And then this like divot that goes like two inches down, four inches wide, two inches up and then oh, another flat shit. panel. So it's like a basically corrugated concrete on the one side, which fine, whatever. But you don't even have solid 
platform underneath to put in scaffolding. It's all of these boulders and that are uneven and unfixed. So like I'm trying to put up this sketchy ladder system and the boulders are moving and I'm just like shoving more oh. like, like rocks Did in to try helmet? and stabilize. I probably should have <laughs> <laughs> because it was above this Creek. So it's like, mm. I'm up on this 10 foot ladder cause the walls are about 10 feet tall. So I'm on this sketchy platform up on a ladder if I fall from that ladder, I then probably fall into a creek that's another 20 feet down. <laughs> uh, and it's September, so it's cold. Like, I'm right by a creek. The wind coming up it is, like, really gnarly. I didn't have the confidence. Like, I knew that I would eventually get it done because mm-hmm. I'm stubborn and I was just going to take as long as I needed. But I would go to the paint store and I was like, oh, do you have any, like, suggestions? They're like, you should call this muralist because they know how to paint and they paint everything in town. And I like called him and I was like, would you like to help me with this mural? I got the commission and I I hear that you're the guy and I could really use a hand and some mentorship. And he was not very kind to me at first. He was like, you should not have gotten this. Like you haven't painted a mural before. Oh, it clearly says you need to. Like I like had, yeah, just kind of like ran up and down me verbally. And then I don't know what I was thinking. I was still like, so you want to work with me? (laughs) (laughs) I got brothers. You're you're bashing and shit. So that's a maybe like, yeah. Yeah. So like, I think you're thinking about it. Like, (laughs) are you still in? Yeah. Dude, I love, at that point it's like, yeah, it's not about me. Like the jury chose my work. I don't know even what your work is. Like I'm asking you to help. I'm here to pay you. I'm like trying to employ you. We eventually, we now have like a good relationship, but I give him shit because like, remember when you were a total dick to me when I was trying to hire you because your ego got in the way and you thought that you deserved this wall and you don't ever deserve anything. Like, mm-hmm. And it's amazing to have a place like Whistler where there are so many pieces of public art, either on like the hydro boxes or in underpasses and to have it diverse and to have different people doing murals, it shows that there's diversity and isn't that what we're talking about in 2020 more than anything is like inclusivity and diversity and having something for everyone. Like my artwork isn't going to resonate with everyone and I have to be okay with that. And I need to celebrate other people's arts like typography and black and white and native art and things that I can't and don't do because mm-hmm. it's not my authenticity yep. or my authentic path. I celebrate it. Like, yeah. I don't listen to grunge metal, but I think it's really important we have it. <laughs> For sure. Well, it's the same thing in this podcast world. You know, hear, hear. Like, as many as you want to have. Like, there's always a message and you're always going to be learning something new. I don't yeah. have a, there's no bias. You're not going to make Chad and Aaron again, so give her. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's like you're not going to make totally. another, another Jessica Gilbert. Your art is, is you. It becomes you. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And I think like, especially now I'm very grateful to have had, like, I'm very grateful that my parents were never like, you need to go get a job that makes money. They were just like, just know that like follow your passion and do whatever you want to do. I like, I remember I was telling my dad I was going to quit my job at MEC, which was like a really good job at the time, like super stable. I had the best support group there living in the city, vacation time off, whatever. He's like, yeah, quit your job. I like work for myself. I've never had a real job. Like, why would I tell you to keep it? I've been so supported by people in my life. And I've had the opportunity then to express myself in a visual way when I can't figure out how to say it. Like I paint about it. And Mm -hmm. it just so happens that I want to show people how exciting I, this place is and how awe inspiring the mountains are and this experiences outside and the textures of that landscape, how it feels to go on an adventure. 
I want to make art about that so that I can encourage other people to go and have their own because mm-hmm. moving here and getting into wilderness and walking through mountains changed me into the person I am now or maybe helped me develop into the person I am now. And I'm so grateful for that. Do you have an extra room? <laughs> I'm looking at a picture right now of this Squamish mural party and your mural on the yeah. side of that building with the mountains yeah. in the background and everybody's just chilling, hanging out, you know, the party environment. It just, yeah, it resonates. That was, a great, that was huge, man. Yeah. So that one's 600 square feet. And the backstory behind that was it was part of a film project. So great big story is this company based out of Manhattan that had contacted me. They create stories or they create videos that tell the stories of people doing strange, like different things. And they wanted to basically pair me with this helicopter pilot, Brad Friesen. Oh, and yeah. to and to showcase. <laughs> have you seen him with his bolt on? Yeah, I know Bradley. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Bentley. Yeah. Yes. He does yeah, some so they, epic stuff. Yeah, that guy's pretty Yeah, hard. totally. Like using his helicopter to kind of intercept a hockey game in an alpine lake. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so cool. What a what a funny guy, too. So oh, yeah, I they love, filmed. I love the bulldog, yeah. yeah sorry, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. So yeah, they created this film project called A Canvas in the Clouds, and it basically showcases and follows me on my journey of like, like Brad flies me to the top of this mountain called Little Ring Mountain, which is in the middle of the Squamish Valley, and uh, by Mount Cayley and we like shows how I can I like to paint in the outdoors and like capture the texture of that environment and then how those paintings created outdoors on a smaller scale get translated into these larger murals so then the mural was captured by this story or by a great big story over three days they gave me to make that thing uh, mm-hmm. to tell the story of that journey and so the the mural in in that picture that you're talking about in Squamish is me trying to capture like the Squamish Valley and the Sea to Sky is so lush. Like you have all of this really dense coastal rainforest that's full of ferns and life and lichen, but it also has these like really profound dramatic alpine peaks that just tower over you. And this really like, since it has all of this like ebb and flow of wind and you have the ocean and all of the things that like are affecting weather, you have these really dynamic clouds that are always kind of pulsing and circulating and have a spirit of themselves mm-hmm. and squamish being you know means like mouth of river mother wind uh, oh. i think like mother wind it's like there's a couple different translations but the name squamish is talking about like wind and the life of this and the spirit of that land and so i wanted that mural to like encompass all of those things in one and like elevate to alpenglow and what was interesting was the day that that party was it was during a really smoky time, and we all know that smoke makes these really dramatic alpine glow sunsets and sunrises. Yes, like and you can sky, see it in those pictures, like, yeah. Totally, yeah. That was an emotional one for me, because it's like three days of filming, you have a whole crew just following you around, and I'm still pretty early in my muraling career, and I wasn't sure I could do it in time, and I just, like, I don't use a projector, so all of it is freehand. and oh, I just, wow. like... <laughs> Yeah, like what? they have a time lapse on it, and I'm like up and down on the scissors, like I'm just like trying looking, to sketch it out. <laughs> I'm looking at the the badass the pictures. Like you. I'm looking at the whole wall, and I'm seeing you on the scissor lift, and like how do you translate that? That's what I'm trying to get you at. You know, like yeah, like Chad was saying <laughs> from that zero point and stepping back, and like do you is there? I don't know. For lack of a better term, is there some kind of pencil sketch that gets applied first, and then you lay down the layers, or is yeah. It, 
Kind of like I, I would say like my technique's really loose. Like okay, I, cool. I work from a small sketch. I work in my sketchbook and I try and get the scale. So if it's like, you know, 10 by 20, I figure out what that is. Like if it's one by two, so then I'm working within that framework. And then I just, I try the best I can to just imagine the space from 30 feet behind me as I'm at the wall. In that case, like I'm on a scissor lift. I can't really just easily step back, step to the wall, step back. Oh. And so a lot of it is me just like, feeling it out like, like i'm trying to think like wow. i'm using like in that one i remember there were these window panes these vertical window panes and yeah. so i was like okay if i break that up into like quadrants then this line should carry through half like halfway up the window pane and then a quarter up here so i'm like literally just trying to map it out as if i like i am then the pencil really so it's like okay if i continue this line fluidly at this angle up in like a sketch so it's all this like it's still taking this idea of single line so they're all still derived from like a single line drawing everything's connected it's all this fluid gesture of course it's different if i'm like using spray paint but then i can step back and i can look at the outline of it this line drawing and be like okay like does it make sense does it work and then the color comes in and that's its whole other uh like challenge because color is all relative so you want like I want to make sure that the, the painting dances. Like I'm really trying to show movement and the passing of time. And I think color is a really interesting tool that you can use or medium you can, yeah, a tool that you can use because color has a frequency. And so like blue is its own, or green is its own frequency and green next to yellow will be like a low frequency. They're pretty close on the color wheel. But when you put green next to red, they really fight. So when you think about like Christmas colors, yeah. they're opposite on the color wheel, right. which means that they're going to be really like, intention and they're gonna be like vibrating so is, if you like so that's that why, why christmas is always at christmas time. antagonizing <laughs> i was just gonna say <laughs> like actually though like they yeah. talk, like imagine you walk into a room and the room is completely painted in red that gives you a feeling if the room is completely completely painted in forest green that gives you a feeling like color is really important when you're trying to communicate tone and feeling and and action and movement like you can do a lot with just simple shapes by being really thoughtful about your color palette. Like I studied mm. color theory in college, which is where my interest in this comes from. But it's it's how you make a painting dance is you have to manipulate it in a way like because it's a static material. It's not actually going to move, but you're trying to create an illusion of movement. And like your mind and your eye is going to respond to those colors in a way that you can sort of play with it's it's a really fun process like if you want something to be really sensual or like calm you can put like a light blue next to a teal like they're really calm together but working opposites on your color wheel yeah yeah my eyes are my <laughs> eyes are fixated right now on the colors of the ferns in the yeah, background the behind them they're moving just, yeah they're moving. <laughs> it's fantastic and then the right. whole Sergeant Pepper's list of colors way off to the left there and the, yeah. the trippy psychedelics <laughs> that I'm feeling right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally. It's got me moving. Yeah. So when did you get yeah. your, when did you get into your first um Abby course? Like when did that start? After the MEC? You started getting out on your split, you started getting out into the backcountry with a split board, realizing you can get out there and again you said everything's soft it's powdery it's not there's no impact so then when did you decide to go get your own education for the first time oh yeah with guillaume and jf like okay. we went out and we oh, yeah, did a right. two-day course with okay. um so they were leading it it was up at elfin lakes lodge uh, or um hut what is it called? i think it's just called the elfin lakes hut anyway we were out there and i remember being 
freaking terrified after the fact. I was like, oh my God, mountains just like fall on you. Yeah. you <laughs> and know, you can't control it. <laughs> yeah, like I, I've, it, you know, we've mentioned it that I've mentioned it a couple times is that that level of confidence changed for me too so much when before I did my ST1 and then after I did my ST1. Like, not yeah. that I was scared of the mountains after that and, and the snow potential, but I am just right now. so much more aware. Yeah. Which I guess is think, the goal of the course, right? <laughs> it's like Yeah. And like everybody talks about it, like you realize how lucky you were in the past. Like yeah. I thought it was really cool that people were airing off cornices. Like, right. <laughs> which looks sick, but it's it like is. pretty risky. Like, totally. And uh yeah, so I think it makes you check yourself and even in like I learn something every year, every day probably where I look back at things that I did prior and I'm like, "Oh, you idiot." Like the I, the one that comes to mind, which isn't so much of a safety thing, but it's like when you're building a skin track, I was like, just make it steep and right to the top. Right. Like, just go straight no, up the gut. Actually, yeah. Like it's actually really, it's way more effective to stay in the trees if you can to isolate or like insulate yourself from risk and danger, but also to make it low angle. Like you're going to get there at the same, if not faster, and you're going to conserve a lot more energy mm-hmm. if you're making a really thoughtful skin and safer. track. So yeah. Like, totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, G- Guillaume and JF definitely really in, like sparked my curiosity in the mountains and made me want to get more education and just keep going and exploring. And the Sea to Sky Corridor is like stunning for splitboarding. I spent a lot of time touring off the Duffy and touring off the backside of like Whistler and Blackcomb and like the Spearhead Traverse. And there's just so much terrain everywhere. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I remember being, I was on the top of Cayuche for a tour and it's like, it's so imprinted in my mind because it's like this cool summit and then the clouds would pulse up and sock you in and then pulse down and all the peaks would be revealed. And it kept doing that. And it was just oh. like, it was mountaintops as far as you could see. And like, it, and you know, it gets hazy and you're like, there's still more. Like, I know there's still more. Like, and coming from New York, I was like, this is fucking mental. Like, like no doubt. Yeah. Right? The like, rolling Catskills, like, like the foothills of the Catskills where you grew up type of area. And then. Totally. And boom. like people ask, you know, what, why do you live in BC and what is it about BC that keeps you there? And there's, uh, yeah, like when you just why laugh. Why do I laugh but... so hard? <laughs> Come out and see you, idiot. Like, holy. Totally. Like, that's like... part of why I make the artwork. It's like, this is why. Like, look, at, I'm trying to articulate and show, like, photos don't do it justice. So no. maybe I can capture it in a painting. Who knows? You know, it's funny being way up here in Northern Alberta. And when I tell people that I used to live in the Caribbean, they're like, why the fuck are you up here, man? You know, well, there's several reasons. But one of the big key things for me is I so wanted to move out west. I was so excited to come out to the Canadian Rocky West and see the mountains that I always heard of as a kid, you know, and see them in person and get to play in them. Fucking amazing. And I and I have such a small, tiny taste of what you've experienced. Oh, God, yeah. Entirely, you know, like I need to keep pushing farther west man, go, yeah. and get out of this area. But, but I want to ask you, you know, being from New York, coming out west, experiencing the Sea to Sky area, and now where you live in the Revy area and the Kootenays and all that good stuff, and having ridden in Svalbard in Japan, I'm just kind of curious what the differences are. <laughs> like, what were the different flavors oh, that you experienced? Fantastic. You question. know, Japan, Norway. Yeah. Do tell. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, that's the other thing about guiding and, like, where the ACMG, they want you to see a variety, a variety of snowpacks. Right. So, like, the snowpack on the coast is known for being, like, really deep 
and, you know, relatively stable because the temperature gradient is good. And then you go get to, you know, in the Rockies, it's challenging because it's a shallow snowpack and you're going from zero degrees at your, um, at the dirt and up to like minus 20, like it creates like really unstable snow when you have that big of a range for your, um, for your temperature gradient. So like you have shallower snowpacks and spots, like in the Rockies, you have a deeper snowpack in the coast, in the Kootenays, it's just like Utah pow. It's super light, deep, like lots of pillows and really fun, playful terrain. Revy, it's like they're the at least the pass and where I've explored thus far. Um, it's a lot of like alpine features, so you're dealing with more, you know, wind and exposure and and just like yeah, snow that has seen the elements. So you have like pockets where it's forming wind slab, or you have deposits and and areas where you have to be a bit more thoughtful on like what's happened in terms of the environment, like because the terrain will catch it differently. Right. Um, I know it's not really talking about like the different. Well, it is talking about the differences in snow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So those Entire things are all like, like within Canada, all of those have a very different sensibility, which is why you see. And I mean, it's it's partly weather, but it's also like it's snow. That's why you see different forecasts or avalanche forecasts for different parts of BC. It's like it's a very varied um, terrain and patterns there. Like, yeah. So those are like really fun. I would say in Svalbard, we were mostly on the coast. So we were, <laughs> we were in the zone called Kuvar land, which was essentially just like park your dinghy at the edge and just boot pack up a Kuvar, which is like, you know, 500 meters tall and just come right down it. And it was like really shallow and kind of mushy spring corn if at best like it was so fucking gnarly at times like man i'm like i'm booting up a cooler with danny davis and i have to like i'm like oh my god like it's danny it's my friend zach nigro and we're standing at the top of this cooler and i'm just shaking because it's like vertical if you clip an edge like you're either gonna hit two rock walls on either side or you're gonna tomahawk your way into the ocean like fuck me Uh, (laughs) and uh I remember like Danny just be like, Oh, you want to ride this one first? Like, there's no way I'm riding this one first. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see the most not. timid, shallow turns ever, yeah. Danny? Yeah. Like, you want me to just scrape this thing all the way to the bottom? And so, right. like, he drops in, and then Nigro drops in, and then I'm at the top, and I'm like, Fuck, okay, so this thing's like, you know, 10 feet wide at the top, and then at its widest point, it's maybe 30, 40 feet, like in spots. There's a bunch of pinches that are ice, and two people already rode down it. And yeah. now I have to go, like. Damn, I should have gone first. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And they're like, okay, you got to wait another five minutes. We're getting the drone ready. Okay. Oh, all no, the cameras no. on. I'm like, oh my God, Fuck my nightmare. Um, <laughs> okay, but, but yeah. all that, <laughs> all that aside, from your viewpoint, looking down at the ocean you're riding mm. down to the ocean like how epic was that for you let me paint this picture for you <laughs> one of the most epic lines like i'm standing at the top with danny and zach and we're on the couloir but you can see on the left hand side it's just like this pillar of rock and you can see the ocean on the left hand side too straight down the couloir is our sailboat valiente and next to the valiente is a whale <laughs> no fucking <laughs> way Fuck. whale and we're about to just shred straight to the ocean on this like pin straight cooler with two super rad humans back to a boat full oh of rad humans it's like michelle parker chris ben chetler kimmy fasani 
buff myself like blotto justin eels like just pinch me koa they had their baby on board that was like (laughs) one of the highlights probably of my life for sure fucking killer Um, wow yeah but that that snowpack it's like really affected by the ocean so it's like a really continental snowpack it gets a lot of weather at that point it's may so we were dealing with like solar input um it's shallow so you're really like the biggest thing i was talking with todd who was one of the isax expedition guides on it and he's like the solar input here being in svalbard like the sun never really sets but if the clouds break you have like the snowpack it's really heavy because Mm. all of that snow then starts to become water which Mm -hmm. is heavier and like yeah so you're dealing with like really quick rapid changes so that was something to have your heads up about. Like I've never had to deal with that. Yeah. And, like at that point I'd been at Bald Basin in the Kootenays for a few years. It's like, what do you mean? It's not just epic blower deep pal. <laughs> Every um, day. Yeah. And then Japan, like we were there in the spring and we were on Mount Rashiri, which is this volcano floating in the middle of the ocean. So it, it gets wind on all sides. It gets sun. It has like water or like the oceans all around it. So it's like getting all of this weather, like, we would skin up part and then you'd get to this like sheer ice ridge that had just gotten blasted by wind. And, and then you'd be like, at this point your crampons are on and you're breaking through rhymed like little bushes. And then you're trying to like get your ice axe into all this rhyme everywhere. And oh, you're wow. just looking for snow deposits. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, I get pow there for sure, but it's really like you're kind of at the mercy of weather. We really lucked out with having a day where, the wind was calm enough for us to go up. It was still socked in when we summited, but, you know, able to successfully make that mission. But yeah, like it wasn't deep blower pow, but man, did that mountain require you to be thoughtful? Like (laughs) you got your ice axes and you got your boot crampons, board crampons. You're like trying to find your way up and yeah, like what a crazy experience. And then you end with an onsen and suit like sashimi (laughs) and this guy Toshi, who ran the hostel we were at, like had caught a tuna in his sea kayak the day before what? we got sick. there. Like sick, such sick, a sick. legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the food there was insane. Like, ask Buff the next time you talk to him how he feels about natto, which is fermented soybeans that they like to eat how do you at s- breakfast. You say natto. Yeah, Buff yeah. will say just say no to natto because yeah, it smells that. like the bottom of like a rotten compost. Yeah, and they serve it and- in that seaweed <laughs> cone, like an ice cream cone, and. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that. Oh, stuff and it's before. like stringy and you're trying to get it with your chopsticks <laughs> and it never quite breaks. It's oh, it's so Oh, gnarly. okay. I've had it I've had it served in uh sushi restaurants. Actually when I I used to work in Montgomery, New York and uh my boss no way. And I, Yeah, my boss and I used to go to uh sushi lunch. He loved sushi. Um and we used to get that all the time. He used to he was big on that stuff. It was served yeah. in a cone, like a seaweed cone. You'd eat it like an ice cream cone. Ugh. Yeah. Sounds She's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> It was sl- yeah. super slimy and not fun. Yeah. That's for sure. But I tried it, but like I couldn't yeah. I now say no to Nato. Just like Buff. <laughs> like, no because he's my mentor and I have to. Right, yeah. right. But yeah. That's pretty crazy. It's, so Japan was splitboarding, hey? Japan yeah, was splitboarding. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, it was super fun. It was myself, Buff, 
uh, Tom Ruth, who works with FYI Designs, yeah. and so they do like all the development for yeah, like Patagonia AK, yeah, yeah. yeah Cohesive. Yeah. Uh, Joel McBurney, who you guys should talk to. Joel McHoney, okay, I like to call him. <laughs> okay, I have a little connection with Joel because uh, it's super funny, man. You know how Facebook will tell you, hey, you might know this person, right? So mm-hmm. now that uh, now that uh, you know Facebook friends with Jeff and and Mike Wigley and guys like that, and then um, I'm looking and it says, yeah, you might know Joel McBurney. And I'm like, okay, so I fucking click on it. We got four mutual friends. Well, two of them are, you know, the previous explained, right? Mike Wigley and, and Jeff Pensiero. And then two of them are dudes that I grew up with in Toronto. No way. And I'm like, what? So I sent Joel <laughs> I sent Joel a message and I'm like, dude, how the fuck do we know these two people and these two people? Well, it turns out that he grew up in the same area that I grew up in and we know the same friends. He's just a couple years behind me. Yeah. And then he tells yeah. me that yeah he went out to uh, to Nelson and basically learned how to snowboard at Baldface. Yeah, totally. So yeah, I'll be and touching base shredder. with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he just got picked up by Weston too. They're hooking oh, him no up. Oh no shit! Which well deserved. Joel is super experienced, really good mentor, great with uh, yeah, just educating and a fucking blast to be in the mountains with. Like, I freaking love Joel so much. <laughs> Oh, that's Joel awesome. McHoney Badger. He's great. Joel McHoney Badger. <laughs> Write that down, Chad. Because <laughs> when I get him on the phone, we'll, I'm going to reference that right away. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Joel was actually the lead guide when I came to Baldface as a guest. Oh, uh, so it's no like way. Okay. A, it's a trip for me now when I get to work with him. It's like, whoa, <laughs> how much things have changed. Well, it, sound, <laughs> it sounds like from what he explained to me on uh, the messenger when we were messaging back and forth that... Uh, He's almost like OG guy out there at Baldface, eh? Because he started riding when, I guess, basically somewhere around the, the time that they started. Yeah, like he was riding with Craig. Like, he's yes. definitely OG. Yes. Totally. Yeah. He's amazing. What a crazy connection. Yeah. 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 Awesome, man. Well, I'm blown away, Jessa. Number one, that uh, you decided to talk to us. We're loving it that you came on here. Um, oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, but before we get before we let you go, um, we have more questions. You've said so much, but ideally, we got to hit the backpack topic, which is the one that we love to come upon when it comes to splitboarding yeah. and splitboarders. So, <laughs> what's in Jess's backpack? I mean, not not Jess of the guide, not Jess of the guide, because no, no. we know there's a lot of stuff there. But Jess, yeah. uh, just Jess of the the shredder when she goes out just, into the backcountry, what do you like to take with you? Just Jess of the rogue unit. That's right. Um, <laughs> Besides your paints and your easels and your canvases. <laughs> yeah, there's there are definitely sometimes canvases strapped to the outside of my back. I don't doubt it, man. I don't doubt it for a second. Um, yeah, I so mean, good. kind of like my guiding pack and my personal pack aren't that different, to be honest. Like my oh, first wow, okay. aid kit is a little bit pared down when I'm like personal traveling and I can rely on the people that I'm like touring with. Like, okay, I don't need to carry all the first aids. So maybe you carry the inReach, maybe I'll carry the, the Band-Aid. Like, <laughs> you know, you can kind of split it up. So my pack is a little bit lighter, but not too, too much. Uh, there's always a puffy that I keep in a... Um, uh, dry bag. Um, there's a, a shelter. So I have a two, two man shelter so that oh, you can wow, create okay. a microclimate in case there is a first aid issue. Um, I have, yeah, zip ties, bailing wire, screws, like things to fix my own kit in case things blow up on me. Uh, an extra pair of goggle lenses, sometimes an extra pair of goggles if it's really foul weather. Uh, I also bring an extra base layer because I 
I glisten really hard out there. Like, oh, Jessa glistens, Chad. Like, she glistens. glistens. Fucking hard. She doesn't perspire. She <laughs> fucking sweat. She glistens. Just yeah, fucking no, like, I glisten out there. Yeah. So like sometimes if, uh, yeah, I just, in case we're out there for a while, like you got to get your wet layer off. So like mm. that's always my backup. Uh, let's see, extra pair of gloves. I usually have three pairs of gloves when I travel. So I have like thin ones for the way up, thicker ones for the way up, and then just like an extra in case shit goes awry or I glisten into my gloves, which would never do that. Right. Um, Glistening into your gloves. (laughs) What? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My phone, which has them like Gaia or Avenza, whatever mapping system I'm using. Uh, My inReach. Uh, let's see. I have my right in the rain, which I do draw in. So I'll have a pencil, but I also take notes on snow and weather and what's happening. So it'll have like at the beginning of every day, which is what I've learned with guiding that bald face is you wake up, you look at the InfoX, you look at the weather, you look at what's been happening, you read the avalanche bulletin and you write it down. So I write it in my book. I make a rating scale of like, what do I think the hazard's going to be in alpine tree line below tree line? I write down my objective for the day. So if I want to go like up video peak or something, like that's where we're going to go. Who's in my group? Um, not that it really matters necessarily if I'm touring with friends, but it's just I want to get into a good system because if I have a good system, then it's second nature and I don't have to think about it. So I think that having like we talk a lot about this in like the avalanche courses and our risk awareness, I should say, um, is just build yourself a system like so that when you wake up, you think weather, you think, um, you know, terrain, uh, timing, like group, like you have all the things that you're looking at so that you don't surprise yourself. Like the better you can be. Yeah. It's just like a muscle. You're just trying to get fluid. Um, so those are there sunglasses, a hat, like extra buffs. I ride for a company called Skeeta, which you should check them out. They're based on the East Coast. They're super fun, thoughtfully created. Spell that. Uh, S-K-I-D-A. It's a woman, Corinne, uh, Corinne. And she was in Nordic ski racing back in the day and just got tired of having black neckies and black hats and now creates like really fun prints and patterns and yeah, they're based out of Burlington, Vermont, and they're the shit. Cool, sweet. Uh, so I have a bunch of them in my pack. Yeah, a lot of it is like layers in case <laughs> in case I get cold, which will likely happen. Um, things that I can fix my kit with. Uh, tools Wait, that I can. Are you carrying? Write. Are you carrying an eighty liter pack, Jessa? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm usually in like a forty-ish plus minus liter, so it's like thirty-five to forty is about what I carry. Right. Um. But yeah, like you can, if you're intentional with your purchases and you're not carrying, like fleece is really bulky for the, and like weighs a lot for its warmth. So when you get things like down, you can, they compress a lot. Um, my shelter that I have compacts into the size of my fist. Like all of these things, like Buff talks about, it's like you can, if you're really thoughtful about your gear and you get to know it really well and you have things that have multiple functions. So like, my shelter, for instance, is also can be turned into a toboggan. It can be used as a microclimate. It can be uh, a tarp in case you need to like cover. It's orange, so it can if you need to flag a heli, like maybe it's being used for visual. Like I'm not trying to carry the kitchen, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you so gotta like can I serve ask, yourself. <laughs> can I ask you about your shelter? What is your shelter? Is it a bivy? Like is it a an emergency bivy or um, what do they call it? It's from Rab Designs and it's, oh, okay. it's basically like 
it's, I think they just call it a microclimate. It's a two man climate. So what it is, it's essentially like, did you, did you ever do the thing in school where it's like, everybody's in this like circular tarp yes, lifted up and then you yeah. tuck it behind your butt. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like that. So it has like, when you get inside it, you and your partner sit face to face and you lean back and it kind of holds the structural integrity of it. And there's like a little bit of a nylon seat at the bottom, which will help get you off of the snow, okay. uh, which is really important. So it's, it's really just to like trap that heat, insulate you from the snow and keep, because they talk about like when you're injured, you hemorrhage heat. So you're like, your body is just expelling all this heat that it really needs to keep itself alive. And if you can trap that in any way, like if you can have just even a tarp that you put over someone as you're working on them or you know, waiting out for the heli, like you can survive really. Like you'll see their vitals kind of stay a bit more stable for longer. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a hundred bucks and it's just like, it weighs nothing. It doesn't take up any space. I really recommend for people having it. Like if shit goes wrong, like you got to find a way to keep yourself as warm as possible. So, um, it's been a really good tool to have for sure. Cool, cool. So what about your food choices? What do you, do you eat a lot? Do you carry a lot? Do you carry little? Oh, I eat so much. <laughs> uh, I'm what on do like you the, eat? Yeah. No natto, like I know. Yeah. No natto. Just say no to natto. I'm like on the dates and dried nuts or the dried fruit and nuts program. So like a lot of dates yeah. or I'll make energy balls. So it's like basically a date base with the cocoa or whatever. Um, if I'm feeling fancy, I might put together a veggie wrap. I'm vegetarian, so yeah. I'm trying to do it that way. But yeah, mostly like snacks I can eat quickly on the go. Like typically I'm not sitting down and having like a really long lunch. It's kind of you're eating on the skin track. I'll always keep like peanut butter something in my pocket so that I can Love you know, stealthily the just. Love the yeah. peanut butter. Yeah, that like high fat and like easy sugars I think work really well yeah. for touring. That's yeah. my thing too. Yeah, I'm done with that. Cool. Yeah. Lots dang, of water. Dang. Oh yes, yeah. Do you, do Sometimes you carry? a beer. <laughs> so, uh, you gotta have that summit beer. It's gotta be yeah. in there. I'm the guy. Not always, but like I sometimes carry. It. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I almost always do, but I always forget it in the truck. Fuck, Ooh. forgot to put it in the pack. Yeah, don't let it freeze. No. Yeah, and then it blows up. Pro- but the five P's of success: proper planning prevents poor performance. All right. Whoa! Thanks, Doc. <laughs> yeah, that got a little deep there. <laughs> it's okay. It happened. Dang. All right. <laughs> that was awesome. We need to know those. The, the, the sharing all that stuff is fantastic. So, I'm looking up the uh, rab. I'm looking up the sh- the rab shelter thing. Right uh-huh. What? Um, yeah, they make a two man and a four man. Um, yeah, and then there are other people like. Um, Alpine Threadworks makes a really good one where it actually has tack lines that you can create a, a better sled and they're really good. Like, yeah, just take a look. Like a lot of these things don't actually weigh all that much and it seems like a bit of an, a, like a pricey investment, but if shit goes wrong, you are not going to regret having it. Yeah, <laughs> so, and they're not that expensive either. Like I'm looking at the group shelter two and the super light shelter two and they're like, you know, 70 bucks, 115 bucks. But I see, like it's even got a little chimney on the top. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And a window. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Could cool. save your life. Yeah. Totally. Got it. Nice. Getting it. Get it. Get, Get it. it. Get it. Get it. Get it. Got it. Yeah. Sweet. What? Get it. Uh, got it. Can Can we ask about? I, I'm kind of curious about your gear. Do you mind talking about that real quick? Who you? No, not at all. Who's boarding for Burton or not Burton? Yeah. 
I, I can make uh, is fun it of you. Burton or Burton? Oh man, everybody makes fun of me for my fucking accent. That's because you're not Canadian. You're trying to be. You're I'm not, not. Like they're like mountains. Your accent's not your accent's really sweet, eh? Like it's getting Aww. there, eh? <laughs> yeah, I'm it's trying. okay. I was a getter. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and and I say horrible instead of horrible, horrible. and that one always gets me. You gotta so, say so- like, sorry. When I lived in sorry. New Jersey, I got fun of all the time for the way I said house and coffee, and oh, then because yeah. all house. my friends down there were like coffee. Want to get you coffee? Coffee. Yeah, get some fucking coffee, boss. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Fucking Jersey. Right. And, and, and in Jersey, and in Jersey, we always had the Taylor ham, egg, and cheese. That was the fucking best sandwich going, man. Oh, yeah. Get yourself a hoagie. That's right. That's right. A hoagie. <laughs> uh, yeah. right. Chad's like, yeah. what are you talking about? I remember yeah. from the Crosby show, okay? Uh, oh, Crosby yeah. used to get the hoagies all the time. That's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, my gear, yeah, I ride for Burton Snowboards. I'm super psyched. They, nice. I've been riding their products for fuck forever, so it's really, I feel really grateful to be on their team. Cool. I run the what is my splitboard now? I, I just went through my gear, and I used to have the antisocial, which they mm. got rid of, and now I have. I think it's the skeleton key that I'm riding split, which is a like has a bit more camber in it. Yeah, yeah. So that's super fun. The hitchhikers. Uh, those are solid. Oh, I run the Supremes, which is their stiffest women's boot. Um, oh. I blow through a pair of those every year for sure. Uh, and then, yeah, Gore-Tex. Like, I wear three-layer Gore-Tex bottom you should, tops. Shelf. You should ask if they can get you a set of tourist boots. They are See, they ha- they have the boa, stiff. right? No. They're the oh. speed lace. Oh, but they're men's. I think they're men's. How small are your itty bitty feet, Jessa? I got women's size seven. It's very average. Thank you very much. Oh, you're, you wear the same <laughs> size shoe as my 11 year old son. <laughs> okay, let's just relax. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's disappointing because yeah. they, they're really stiff. These boots are very stiff. Um, yeah. So then do you use the Burton Collab Black Diamond Poles? I do. Yeah. yeah I, have I have those, those and I have a pair of black diamond carbon poles um, nice. when I'm feeling extra light. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I'm carrying sketchbooks. I can't really say I'm ultra light, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, <that's> right. <laughs> you got to keep it real. Um, are yeah. they that much lighter? Which pack are you riding from Burton? Or Ooh, that's you... a really good question. Yeah, I ride really their AK one. Yeah. Yeah. So they have this crazy fabric that. They put in a pack for their AK line. That's just like, fuck. It's like the, if if the if the pack could be lingerie, it's like super light, thin, uh, ripstop. I guess nylon, but right. I already put a bunch of holes in it with my crampons and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's Those super need to light. Go outside. <laughs> yeah. Well, the crampons. Are you gonna put them on the outside? They no, can... they're smashing the head. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Maybe in a bag. Um, in a bag. I don't know. They, yeah. Yeah, oh, you know. now, that you, now that you live in Revy and you're going to start riding there, you're going to be riding with your poles in your hand. Mm-hmm. And you have to go hard. <laughs> boot. Hard boots are next, Jessa. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hard boots are next. <laughs> I'm going to be dropping. I mean, maybe. I'm going to be dropping. I'm going to be dropping some videos starting November 1st on uh, <laughs> the Dark Starts Media Instagram page, where Joey Vosberg is going to be teaching some things and why you want to go into a hard boot section uh, setup for your transitions and why it's quicker you'll be seeing this totally i i will never argue it i know that joey's really like set on it and there's so many people that are stoked on it i am the type of person that i love getting my gear and it's like set and done like set Mm -hmm. it and forget it and for me Mm -hmm. the technology Mm -hmm. is getting there oh for sure where you can get it out of the box and it's good to go but i like i can't be bothered fiddling with my gear like 
I rode shitty men's boards for so long and made it work. Like part of me is like stubborn. Like I don't need hard boots. I know they're better. I know it. <laughs> mm. But for now, I really like my soft boots. I love the way that the Supremes perform. I have a really yes. fun time on the way down. And if I'm working harder, well, then I'm getting stronger. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Good attitude. I like it. Great yeah. attitude. <laughs> I just love the stuffer best. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, this has been a blast. Yeah. I'm stoked that uh, we got to connect. So it's been super fun. So, so much fun. Yeah. And I really like what you're doing. You're connecting so many people within the splitboarding community with others and just showcasing the diversity around the sport. Like you got mm-hmm. OG, you have new people. You, mm-hmm. It's great. I, Thanks. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. Oops. Thank you very much. It's been a blast. And, and to spend a Saturday afternoon chatting with you like this, it's just incredibly awesome. Ah, oh, well, I appreciate it. We yeah. had some laughs, eh? Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like I said, I'm going to bring my blow-up couch and I'll be on or my blow-up blow bed. Up. <laughs> blow up bed. It, it will be my couch probably on the floor, but yeah. oh, God, you took it past uh, blow-up. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go walk in the mountains. We'll yeah. bring Hardboot and Vosburgh. I and want <laughs> Yeah, I want you to be my guide, man. Totally. Yeah, we will uh, record the it episode. Sounds like it would be we a ton have, of fun. We'll have what Buff calls teachable moments. And like you said, <laughs> yeah. I'll be just that much safer with a woman in the backcountry. Agreed. Damn right. Hell Amen. yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like I said in the Steph Nitch episode, I like to see more women in the backcountry. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's happening. We are growing. Awesome. Yeah. All right, well, thanks a lot, and we will be in touch. Sounds good, guys. Enjoy cool, the rest man, yeah. of your weekend. Thanks. Enjoy uh, Sunny Revy today. <laughs> Ooh. Yeehaw. Can't say I won't. Definitely right. will. <laughs> Take care, Jessa. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Jessa, you really are the best. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. As always, you can learn more about Jessa in the show notes. Hey, folks, if you're loving the show, please follow us on Instagram at darkstarts.podcast and share us with all your backcountry friends. Be sure to check back and catch our next episode where we talk with Dave Crerer of Golden Powder Guiding out of Golden, British Columbia. While you're waiting for next week's episode, check back to episode 10 and listen to Maddie Haynes talking about the trail to becoming a guide while working full-time as a firefighter in busy North Vancouver, British Columbia, and raising a family. Shout out to our show sponsor, Tahoe Lab Snowboards. Log on to www.taholab.com and be sure to use the code DS15 at checkout for your 15% discount when you purchase your board. Also, while you're online shopping for the holidays and all your gear, Check out our friends at s3boardshop.ca. They have a deep selection of all you'll need for getting out into the backcountry. Be sure to use the code DS15 for your 15% discount on all online purchases. And they do ship all over North America. We'd love to give a special shout out to Scott Martin of Groundswell Marketing Podcast and Pat Cornway for helping to make all of this happen. Peace, everybody.